Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And it's a new week, which means we have a new guest. Yes. And this week we have the legendary Stan Deo mm-hmm. of Deo Enterprises, who's going to talk with us about preparations for families for impending catastrophes and crises. Indeed. He's kind of a pioneer in a lot of areas, and uh, we get into all of those areas and right. some that I didn't know existed with Particularly, him. Particularly uh, in this area through Dare to uh, Prepare, uh, yeah. a book, which is a legendary book. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about a lot of frontier kind of things here. Mm-hmm. You may agree or disagree with everything he says or us or whatever mm-hmm. but what's new on future quake so uh we just put <laughs> it out there because he and the rest of us hopefully are interesting and we'll yeah. let you uh sort through it until then here's stan dale and we'll be right back on future quake ladies and gentlemen welcome to the future quake show i am dr future and i'm tom bionic and we have a very very special guest with us today we have mr stan dale uh, of dale enterprises llc uh, I'm a gentleman who is certainly well known to many of you in our audience, and we're going to talk about preparations for families for impending catastrophes and crises. And this is just one of a whole bunch of different topics that uh, Brother Stan could be very conversant on to talk with us. Uh, I, w- I want to tell you, uh, Brother Stan, it's uh, wonderful to finally have you on the future uh, Quake Show. Well, it's good to be here, Dr. Future and Tom. Hey. Tom Bionic. Yeah. yeah, good to have uh, you on. It's been a while since, uh, you know, Dr. Future and myself uh, met each other down in, in Roswell. Well, I did see the video. I did see the DVD video of your talk there in Roswell. At, at and Ancient I was, of Days? Yeah, the Ancient of Days. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, very, you very provocative. Tom, you didn't very see, see what uh, what uh, he and I were talking about at the dinner table. I mean, we were we were talking about really way out stuff. Of course, it wasn't in the talk, but yeah, way out stuff, not like the real pedestrian stuff that was yeah. talked about at the ancient. Yeah, events. I believe there was some yeah, right, right, not right. just Nephilim, UFO, anti-gravity stuff. We're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. really far out stuff. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just so glad uh, there wasn't some kind of polar shift right on that day because you know it's just for the same reason they don't put all the guys that have the ingredients to Coca-Cola at one spot. You know. Uh, at that <laughs> That's di- true. We had a we had a lot of the leading lights in this. Well, day, at that we? dinner table, we had uh, you know Patrick Heron and David Flynn and Joe Jordan and Guy Malone and on and on and on. Um, yeah, Bill Smithland. Uh, yeah, had, uh, Mike Heiser. 
I mean, yeah. that that was almost like a Manhattan project of good godly weirdness. And, it was. It really and it was. was in New Mexico, no less. It was in Roswell, New Mexico, and I tell you what, it was life changing for me, brother Stan. Uh, I met some of the most wonderful brothers in the Lord. That uh, and I saw God move. I saw God move in people in the audience. Uh, I saw all sorts of things happen there that uh, uh, just firmly convinced me that that God was moving amongst all of you. And uh, I've been remiss of not having you on the show. We've been having some of the other folks on uh, uh, over the the years, and that was going all the way back to 2005. But uh, there were so many things we could talk about that tonight all we're going to be able to do is just hit some high points on some things. But uh, one of the things we're very concerned about, uh, both Tom and I, is that with the developments that are happening in our country right now, politically, financially, and otherwise, um, we have a role and a duty to our fellow Christian brothers and sisters and anyone who's listening here to do whatever we can to pass on good, worthwhile information to help them prepare for the days that are ahead. And uh, when I thought about that, you you were the first person I thought of uh, to have good, reliable information uh, since you have been so foundational in this field of preparing people for uh, catastrophes and uphe- upheaval. Uh, to, to, to help our, our listeners uh, understand a little bit more about you, um, and again, many of these people have not heard about you if they've not listened to Coast to Coast or the, the many different venues that you've been at, um, can you uh, explain to us just a little bit about uh, the breadth and depth of your credentials and your experiences and uh, you know the, the scope of the wide array of uh, the background of Stan Dale? Well, there's uh, quite a few things, I guess, uh, just as far as uh, real-world uh, normal uh, information about myself. Uh, I grew up in Texas. I was born in a little town called Clifton, about 11 miles from Valley Mills, which is the gateway to uh, uh, Crawford, where the president's ranch is. <laughs> okay. Mm. So, you know, I uh, I admit to being a Texan of that uh, ilk. And, uh-huh. uh, that was my grandparents' place. I lived there during the last part, of, well, the closing days of World War II. But uh was raised in Dallas after that and uh, graduated from a high school there, Kimball High School. Um, got an appointment to the U.S. Air Force Academy. I uh, went there for about 20 months. Uh, had a big argument with the government over some stuff with the Air Force. <laughs> I think they were doing that weren't really kosher. Uh-huh. And about 150 to 180 of us resigned. First time that anybody ever uh, done that. Wow, well, I had no idea about that with you, Stan. So, so there was an en masse uh, sort of a oh, protest yeah. resignation. And the majority of us were what's called honor code representatives. Um, each class, there were four classes there, fourth class, third, second, first. And uh, each class uh, and each squadron uh, elected guys from their squadron to sit in judgment of honor code violations, which meant that you had to be pretty squeaky clean in their sight to, to do that. So in essence, you had the um, Supreme Court of the Honor Code of the Academy. Uh, all of us that were in that were protesting over trumped-up charges the regular Air Force was making. And the one that really got my attention was a, a black friend of mine that was a cadet there. They we had what we call a Buddha room, a candy room, uh, and you could go to it 24 hours a day, take some candy out, mark it up on a little chart that you paid for it on payday on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And they they cornered him said, look, we had cameras were watching through the windows, and you went and got a, you know, let's call it a Snickers bar, and you didn't mark it up until Wednesday. Um, but uh, he did mark it up, right? And so they said, well, when you walk across the threshold, did it cross your mind that since nobody saw you, it was at midnight that, that you could get away with it. And he said, well, I don't know. I, I guess it could have. Right. That's an honor code violation because you thought about it could be done that way, even though you came back and, and marked it up. We're kicking you out of the academy. 
And it was because, I'm reasonably certain, they didn't want a black cadet in there. And they did it to a German fellow, a, a German guy who was short. And he was too short for what they wanted, and so he went out uh, on a trumped-up charge. And it went on. There were a number of other things in other squadrons. It just wasn't fair. These guys were absolutely superb cadets and friends. Mm -hmm. So we said, if you don't get them back in here, we're not going to take our exams, and we'll just en masse, uh, you know, resign. And so they said, well, all right, you're not going to get away with that. Go ahead. So we didn't take our exams. They, they, they then confined us to quarters, and over the Christmas holidays, they came to our doors one by one in the middle of the night and uh, checked us over to the, oh, the, the department the signs out of the Air Force Academy and then put you on a shuttle, and then next thing you know, before the sun comes up, you're on a plane heading back to your state. Hmm. And, um, and that was it. But uh, in, in looking back at it, the Academy admits that there was a, uh, a dispute of the kind they'd never had before, and they uh, classified it for a long time as to what it was about. In fact, it may still be classified but because they didn't want it to get out. And as a result, they'd never had anything like this happen. Uh, they didn't know what to do with it, so they just put us into the Air Force Reserve in our various states. And we miss, you know, Vietnam and all that stuff on the front line, um, which, well, I guess is a good thing. But at the time, it was kind of, you know, we thought, well, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had no understanding of that. And I, I have an associate who actually is uh, doing some teaching out there right now at the academy and some other things who will go nameless. But from what I saw from him and things, I saw some things that disturbed me as as well there, too. Uh, both by the way it was run and, and sort of the latest generation of some of the folks that are there. But, you know, I haven't seen how things always have been there. But uh, I guess there's well, some things I better not know more about yeah, because it's too disturbing. When you sign in, when you sign in as a cadet, you, um, in, in my case, I was underage, uh, I was a bit young, but my parents had to sign the release with me. Um, you virtually give the Air Force control over your body, uh, your soul, everything. They own you and they can do anything they want to with you. And, um, Although one of the uh, colonels in, that was involved in it in my day uh, has uh, since been quite upset by what happened to a number of cadets who suicided over it, they did some experiments with a number of us on um, extremely rapid reading, like 200 pages of a book in a second with flash queuing and a number of other things, the mind games they played, and they even used hypnosis. And um, this um, this really kind of wasn't kosher, and uh, they knew it. Some of them did, and they've carried the guilt for some time because, as I say, a couple of boys, um, well, one of them shot himself in the stomach and uh, mm. died, and another jumped off of a wall two stories up and killed himself. And it was, you know, we'd find the papers, so we were allowed to do that. But that was that was wow. where I stopped uh, university, and I went back to Dallas. And, well, uh, let, let me fill in the blanks. You, uh, from that point on, you didn't mount to much of anything, and uh, you just quit work and stayed at home. Yeah, yeah, I sat down with a can of beer on the couch. And... <laughs> no, that's just the beginning of the story with you. Yeah, it is. I, As I say, I went back to Dallas and um, spent a couple of weeks uh, getting acclimatized to civilian life again and uh, then um, uh, became a computer programmer for IBM and, uh, well, training at IBM for a large insurance company there. And uh, for their systems like 1401s and 360s back in those days, and also trained to be a system senior, uh, senior systems analyst. Um, and along the course of all these things, because of the things I was interested in and had studied in high school and at the academy, I was doing research physics uh, in uh, propulsion primarily, but also in some um, uh, hydrothermal crystal growth, artificial emeralds, and things like that. Did some uh, research into marine architecture um, for water versus the propulsion thing I was designing. 
And um, about 1971, I was approached uh, at my work in Dallas um, by um, a gentleman who uh, had a friend uh, that was a, a Dr. Maxwell who worked with Dr. Teller. And to cut the story short, basically I was recruited there on the spot because somehow or another they knew exactly what I was doing in my research, which was a, a type of flying saucer. And uh, they wanted me to join their team and finish work down in Australia uh, because they, as they told me and showed me, they had done research and development on some 50-odd types of flying saucers since the late 50s. And they thought that my design should go with them, and my, the place to do it was in Australia, away from the United States. And then it took me 30 years to get back home. Um, we had a falling out uh, only two years after I uh, joined the group down there, uh, mainly because of um, my disagreement with them withholding certain technologies that I thought we should give to uh, third world countries who had terrible problems getting uh, water and uh, food, and this uh, technology would have given them limitless energy without polluting the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we came to a, a big disagreement on that, and then when they found out my father was Jewish, it was probably over for me anyway, but um, that was toward the end, and, and uh, they um, threatened uh, very seriously, uh, cleverly, but uh, I knew what they were up to, to put me at the bottom of a 5,000-foot-deep mine shaft in Ballarat, Australia, uh, permanently, and uh, because I would not be quiet. And so I ran and grew a beard and found a, a group of hippies to travel with and look like them. And it's still in Australia? Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, we came across, we went from um, Melbourne over to... Um, eventually to uh, Perth in the west, and that was a journey mm -hmm. of probably 2,000 miles. Yeah, I mean, because most people, if they're not aware, Australia is approximately the size of the United States, correct? And it basically, That's correct. Except for Alice Springs, the whole interior is virtually uninhabited. That's right. That's right. The Alice mm -hmm. is the center of commerce and, and life uh, in, in the middle of a very big, dry place. Which is a, it's a village right in the center near Uluru. Yes, yes. It's yeah. a town, yeah, and it's near Uluru, the Big Red Rock. Mm -hmm. um, it's also near Pine Gap, which is one of our... Right. major underground communication systems there so, in the United States. So if you're going east-west, so if you if you made it up to, uh, to made it to Perth, there's not a whole lot of east-west routes going that way. There was one, <laughs> and you could deviate from it left and right or north and south, but it was a, a route that kind of wandered in the middle because it wasn't a road. It was a sand path through the desert, the, the Nullarbor Desert. It was mm -hmm. interesting, and, um, you know, we had our share of problems with, you know, uh, axles breaking and stuff with the stuff we were carrying, but... Um, Eventually, I went to Perth, and again, it's probably not germane to what we need to talk about right. tonight, really, but that's where I was protected by the local um, branch of Australian Security and Intelligence and uh, lived there because my passport, U.S. passport was taken away, and my U.S. citizenship was canceled, and so that I couldn't go home and, and make trouble here. And so it took until 2001 for me to um, be told, uh, after pounding on the doors of the State Department, that, oh, Gosh, a mistake had been made. Um, I never lost my citizenship. Uh, we'll make all your children born to you down there um, American citizens and give them green cards and passports. Anything else we can do to help you come home? So you go figure that one out. Oh, but, my goodness. Whoa. Yeah. Anyway, the the, um, the isolation and the uh, exile ended in 2001, and Holly and I came back up here and uh, into Colorado, where we've been mounting this joint effort to prepare people for a number of things, and she has written that, that book, the, the Dare to Prepare book, which is a you know 624-page Bible to people to get their homes and businesses in order. 
for now, the coming problems. Is she one of the positive experiences you, you brought back from Australia? <laughs> yeah. She she was originally uh, up here, and uh, she was in Colorado at the time we met. And she came down there, and uh, back in uh, 98, we got married in a castle down in Ballarat. Hmm. And then uh, a couple of years later, well, I guess three years later, we uh, shut down the farm down there and decided it was time to come back up here for a number of uh, very good reasons. Wow. What a story. And I know you only hit the high spots with us. I know there's much more much where, more. Yeah, where that came cow. from. And, um, you know, th- these are the kind of people that we like to have on Future Quake that make life so interesting. And that's why you have some very enlightening things to share with us here. T- to begin our discussion on the uh, specific threats our listeners may encounter in the days ahead, uh, can you give us your perspective on what are some of the particular threats that we may encounter, and I'm I'm going to talk about the uh, natural or man-made, or, or excuse me, the man-made things versus natural right now, D- due to things like civil unrest and uh, the growing uh, polarization, you know, politically or otherwise in our country, uh, you know, the kind of things we do to ourselves as a society. Um, where do you see where we're at in that regard, and in, in the threats to us, and what specific things can we do to prepare for that? Okay. Well, in the man-made threats, it's arguable about uh, the so-called global warming being man-made. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that our um, our industry uh, and energy exchange systems do pollute the atmosphere, but mm-hmm. we're looking at, um, in that case, a, a more long-term thing, which is a result of solar activity, which is beyond our control. Right. So, um, if you say, let us uh, address the uh, man-made problems uh, that are that are creating this global warming effect, then I would say to people, okay, what we need to do first of all is we cannot reverse these effects very quickly. It's going to take two or three decades to do it, even if we started today en masse. So what we need to do is prepare our homes and our businesses, our communities, for various types of disasters. And um, this is where Holly becomes the expert because uh, her book, uh, you know, tells you uh, basically what we're telling you now. Why should you prepare? Dare to prepare and, is again the well, title. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Um, the um, the meteorological or weather climate disasters, however you want to categorize them, it's weather basically, are one of the most um, recognizable and prevalent threats to prepare for. Uh, if you were a Katrina victim or a victim of the latest hurricane down in Texas, uh, that I colleague, yeah. Um, then you would know that you wish you'd had a generator, you wish you'd had dry ground, you wish you'd had uh, medicine, food, uh, fresh water, so you'd have to stand in line and pay for it in some places. You would know that preparing for hurricanes is a very common and very practical thing now as they they are intensifying uh, in strength. You would also know if you lived in Kansas and in the uh, tornado belts, uh, even up to north Texas and Oklahoma and, and, and uh, east of there a bit, that you need to be prepared for super... Um, uh, cyclones or, or sorry, uh, tornadoes, uh, a tornado shelter and this kind of stuff, which is addressed in her book. Um, flooding, flooding, people don't think about it, but hey, if the water level around your house, wherever you're situated, raises uh, six inches to a foot and comes in your house and starts floating your furniture around, you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, bro- Brother Stan, I don't know if you've heard about this. That, that's particularly acute in our area here because we have a dam just across the state line in Kentucky that's holding back the largest body of fresh water in the eastern half of the U.S. And the, it leads down the Cumberland River down through Nashville and beyond Clarksville and elsewhere. Is that the one the Army Corps of Engineers is worried about? They're desperately yeah. trying to fix it. It is, it's giving yeah. way and water seeping under. And if it goes, we've had experts, some uh, Ph.D. experts from the 
from from FEMA and from the county FEMA agencies and elsewhere that have said that if that goes, that that will deluge downtown Nashville under 80 feet of water. Oh, you're joking. Said it would wow. make Katrina look like child's play. Yeah, in uh, under two hours. Right. Less. And yeah. we have a second dam closer to us that also is in the same threat. And they said this is just the tip of the iceberg, that there are dams like this all over the country. You know, they were all built in a very tightly defined window of time after the the New Deal uh, type thing, and they're all equally getting old at the same time. They haven't Holly, had... Holly has addressed that in, the, in her Prudent Places USA. and uh, Okay. She has said how much of our infrastructure and pointed to the bridges and stuff and dams that are at risk. And there are so many that you just can't believe it. The infrastructure is wearing out. And, of course, no money has been made available to it uh, because of wars and various other misuses of our money. But she just uh, told me to tell you that the number one natural disaster in the United States is flooding. And people just think, oh, it's a flood. But you wait until you – it only takes a little bit to ruin your house. And, I mean, and if you have it's, – it's like, you know, the bank won't lend you money, and uh, you know, unless you don't need it. The same thing with flood insurance. If you're in an area where you're prone to flood, it's very hard to get it. So oh, it harm in the lake. It's really up to you. By the way, if Holly is there in the premises, please tell her that uh, Dr. Future and Tom Bionic say hello. Hi, and, Holly. And if she'd like to pop on the, the mic at any time, she's more than welcome <laughs> to. She's saying, I'm not going to do that. She's shy. She may want to keep her reputation. We've ruined many reputation by yeah. appearing on Future Quake. So well, she still has okay. plausible deniability. <laughs> yeah. <I don't laughs> when you see my lips her. moving, it's her hand back behind me moving I, it, you okay. know. <laughs> well, uh, well so being a husband, I just sort of assume that. <laughs> <laughs> she she said to tell you also that, uh, to remind you, that uh, on our, our website, uh, the standeo, it's uh, standeo.com, that's S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O.com, that if you look over on the left-hand bar, there's preparedness, nuclear biological warfare, there's all kinds of, of uh, sub-websites that are huge there that got the information that you need right now, uh, whether you've got a book or not. With, uh, and you just do that as a courtesy uh, oh, yeah. in, in Christian charity to... Uh, your brothers and sisters and other people out there who Holly need gets up at about five o'clock in the morning and starts scanning the news for current events that relate to uh, Christian prophecies and things that affect us at home daily. Wow. And uh, you'll see that on the the hot headlines. It's the front page you go to. But over the left, the preparedness site is there more long term with all kinds of links and discussions about things you might need, from generators to water purification to weapons, everything. Heaps of it. Not everything's in the book by any stretch, but. Enough to keep you busy reading five to ten hours. Uh, you, you just print it out. Hmm. And just how to prepare for nuclear, biological, chemical warfare, you know, and uh, a threat watch page that covers all kinds of things, like earthquakes, volcanoes, uh, storms, you know, the lot. Hmm. All that's there every day. You can just go in here like probably 20,000 people do and have a look at it. Um, that's a really <laughs> big room if you get got 20,000 people in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, these, these virtual... Uh, Stores or virtual uh, news depots are really good because we get to meet a lot of people that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some good, some bad, but the majority, about 90% of them are really nice folks, and we share things that we didn't know before. And we, When we get information from we um, pass it to Holly, and she puts it up on the website. All right, we're back at Future Quake with mm-hmm. Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. And that's our first segment with Stan Deo. Um, 
Well, if that's, a, if that's a foreshadowing of the things to come, that's pretty serious right there. What a boring lifestyle yeah. he's well, led. I hope life starts to get more interesting for yeah, him in the yeah. future. The resi- starting with the resignation there from the military academy. Yeah, he, he and a bunch of people like led sort of like a revolt. At yeah, 180-odd 100 people, I think he said. Yeah. And uh, then going to Australia, working on all sorts of projects, escaping. I think he said, it sounded like to me like he was talking about. Working with he, Dr. Teller on yeah. UFO technology. Uh-huh. And then he escaped some 5,000 foot deep mine or something, or maybe didn't go into it. <laughs> oh, I they wasn't were going to sure. put him in it. Yeah. He got away. I didn't, I wasn't entirely clear there. Yeah. And then on the run there, you yeah. know, it's like, Across the wilderness yeah. of Australia. Yeah, I grew a beard so, he, so they wouldn't stand yeah. out and all this stuff. Yeah. But probably the most exciting thing he's ever done is be on Future Quake. I'm guessing. You know, I was gonna, I was gonna say, and then came the capstone. Mm-hmm. He got to hang out with us for that's right for a while. Yeah, that would have blown away all those other people, like, including Doctor no Teller. And, and I've heard Doctor Future like sleeps yeah. one night is seven feet tall, one hour a night is <laughs> seven feet tall, and well, can pass through walls. You know, this is just the zenith. I hope it's not like with Buzz Aldrin, you know, where his life went downhill after he went to the moon. You know, really? he achieved that goal. You know, I don't, I don't know much about him. Yeah, he was the second man on the moon. Well, yeah, I know yeah, that. Yeah, but which, you know, they don't build museums for whoever's second. This is true. That was like me. I was the second shortest kid in class, and the shortest one was always real cute to all the girls, and then second shortest the second gets no shorter, reward. Like, what the? Yeah, no no rewards for <laughs> that. Well, back to Stan Dale. Mm-hmm. Any, any thoughts you had about that? Uh, him and his very unique background, which, you know, actually sort of fits for the future quake motif. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. There's certain people here that kind of, that kind of like, they set the bar really high in the first little while. Yeah. As far as uh, provocative things. Yeah. And he pretty much filled the mailbox full. You mean the provocometer? The provocometer was, I could hear it pegging in the background. Really? Yeah. Like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. I'd like to retrace those steps where he went like across the desert and oh yeah where that mine was and stuff yeah. like that. And well, so you had mentioned you mentioned Teller. Uh, well, he yeah. mentioned Teller, and you mentioned yeah. is that somebody you've heard of? Yeah, yeah, he was a famous guy. I thought he was involved in the with the nuclear kind of stuff too. Oh, okay. I so should that's... know him more, but I'm trying to. I'm, I'll probably miss say if I say the exact details. But okay. world class physicist kind of guy. Okay, so you you know about this? Yeah, this, yeah. This knew, he, knew he exists. Uh, we get into some all sorts of kind of things. It, mm-hmm. We tend to meander this week. Uh, we uh, which you can't help when a guy's got experiences in many different directions. Mm-hmm. But uh, we we try to stay talking about how do we prepare for the future. But we get into some uh, scriptural stuff and prophecy, and mm-hmm. you know we've all got a whole bunch of different ideas on the details. Don't get worked up anybody about that. Yeah. I think we'll, well, and I think I think you know he makes makes it apparent that everybody should be open. Mm-hmm. You know right. a little bit about. About end times right. prophecy. Well, I know who works us up, and that's uh, our Mish. friend Merv. Uh, Merv. Merv. Yeah. Merv, come on in and tell our listeners how they can find out more about FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're in borrow time. All right, folks, uh, until next time, uh, this is Future Quake, and we hope your future is very bright. Goodbye. Join us next time. 
as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And it's day two of our interview with Stan Dale yes. of Dale Enterprises, mm-hmm. talking about preparations for families for impending catastrophes and crises. Indeed. And we learned a lot about him yesterday, didn't we? Yeah, we well, we went over his background a little bit. And all the mundane details. Yeah, the uh, resigning from the military academy in Australia. And uh, exposing some kind of like sort of... Something about escaping corruption. from was a mine. Corru- well, it was a corruption on flying thing. Flying saucers and oh yeah. wait, yeah, yeah, the corruption thing the at corruption the academy thing, at the corruption thing too. And then took off for mm-hmm. for Australia. And then the, our government wouldn't let him come back, so he was marooned. So he in was Australia. marooned in Australia. I could actually think of yeah. worse places to be marooned in. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been there? No, I'd love to. go. Oh, it's nice. Have it's, you been? It's, oh yeah, yeah. I spent several weeks over <sighs> there. Yeah, I was out in the uh, Alice Springs in the. Uh, Dry water basin, looking up, looking at the Southern Cross and all the constellations. Wow, there. I love that. My, Sydney. Well, one of my one of my sort of hobbies, I guess. One of the things I check out every once in a while is the uh, the book Witness of the Stars. So to go to yeah. the Southern Hemisphere and see all oh, that, saw all of it. Neat. Oh. And it was like no lights anywhere to be wow. found out there by yeah. Uluru. Uh, you might blow might blow your mind to let you know that I've actually snorkeled off the Barrier Reef. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Was this in your cage fighting days? Yeah, when did well, this happen? Yeah, no. <laughs> it was just right before I met uh, Mrs. Future, okay, actually. Cool. Yeah, I was over there on some business with the Royal Australian Air Force. Well, cool. And I went up to Cairns, up to the deep north, and uh, snorkeled and off the Barrier Reef and went out a little submarine, That's saw cool, some man. rays and big clams. That's cool. Stuff like that. Saw some live out in the wild wallabies and mermaids and. No, I didn't see that. No. no. Well, I guess we better go talk yeah. to Stan Dale. Let's go see what Stan's up to. Okay. Uh, here's our other favorite Australian, Stan Dale, and we'll be right back to talk about him on Future Quick. Now, weren't you yeah, one of the earliest people to, to actually do this, to, to do this as a ministry? I I guess so. Uh, Ollie, do you remember anybody that was before us? No. No, I, I don't. Um, yeah, I guess we are. Um, but anyway, getting back on track, the... the, the, the um, Disasters you need to prepare for um, are like um, uh, natural disasters and man-made ones. Now, I'm going to get into man-made ones just a little bit in a few minutes, but the the natural disasters really are uh, growing in intensity and frequency in the highly populated areas. Whether they're doing so globally or not doesn't matter. It's in the uh, occupied uh, areas. Mm-hmm. Um, now, California is at extreme risk. The... Uh, the formal elected governments in those areas down to a parish level are um, are doing um, everything they can from holding earthquake drills and um, uh, putting out books and pamphlets to people telling them the best they can about how to prepare for earthquake. A big one, not not small ones, a big one. And it, it's serious enough that they're actually going out openly and saying this. Uh, a number of first responder schools between here and Canada have been buying uh, Holly's book in bulk for their classes to teach first responders from that. Wow. So turning off the gas and all kinds of stuff. Look, this this book, she has collected stuff from everywhere that you can think of. Uh, even has um, one FEMA nuclear fallout shelter uh, plan in there that was uh, in, a, in a FEMA publication probably back in the 50s, I forget, or 70s anyway. 
and it went missing. I mean, they didn't re- reprint it, and she found one old copy of it here in our local um, uh, emergency preparedness uh, center, mm-hmm. and uh, we got permission to uh, photocopy it and, and then and scan it and put it into the book because yeah. everybody wanted that that particular FEMA document. They just didn't reprint it. Yeah, so the government they, may need that from you in the days. Well, the, the government is using in some of these first yeah. responder schools, and and she tells you how you can. Um, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but she does tell you how you can live in your home in a basement or a protected area, how to do it, even if a nuclear bomb goes off 30, 40 miles away and is blowing, you know, um, a fallout cloud for you, toward you. Mm-hmm. She explains and puts tables in there how long you can stay there, when it's safe to go out, and when it's not, even without a uh, Geiger counter or something like that. It's timing and blocking things off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this was kind of in fashion and vogue in the mid-50s, but then it went, you know, out of fashion. Right. And a lot of governments, uh, you know, or, or like cities, municipalities, just destroyed or rented out or sold their uh, community uh, nuclear fallout shelters and survivor centers. And so well, now I we said, don't have them. I suggest everybody to go to standale.com, go online, and look at the table of contents of this book, Dare to Prepare. It is so comprehensive. I have never seen as comprehensive a book, uh, you know, f- from soup to nuts uh, of everything that could be a factor. You know, there's a lot of good books out there that have this or that or, you know, a smattering of things. But it really almost is a Bible, and not, not to be sacrilegious here, but to, a Bible of survival. Hmm. And, you uh, know, it even tells you how to do in that table of contents to, to make your gas mask fit for pyro, your pet. <laughs> well, actually, I know. 40. I know if there was there was only two masks in the house, Mrs. Future and Pyro wouldn't be having them anyway, and they'd be <laughs> telling me goodbye. They'd send me outside for real data for the uh, cloud when it comes out. <laughs> hey, uh, I want I want I want to go back and, uh, and and again. This may be a a low possibility, but given what's been going on in the in the increasing fracturing of our country. I don't know that we can completely dismiss it. Uh, When I talk about man-made, I I don't necessarily just mean long-term issues like global warming, although the environmental impacts are definitely there, Uh, you know, whether it's created by the sun or nature or man-made. But but I'm talking about things like civil unrest, strife. Uh, uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the economic side, and it has its own challenges uh, unique to it. But, but, But the combination of these kind of things could actually turn neighbors against neighbors. And, uh, you know, there certain political elections, if they go a certain way, I'm, people of these days would be more than likely to go down and set cars aflame and mm-hmm. fill the streets and, and uh, things like this. Do you ever discuss any of that on, and I know you don't, uh, you know, promote actively going in, in conflict or things like that, but, but how to just protect your family due to threats like that? Not, not nat- natural, but... But just people like that. All are right. Warpath. Well, we'll jump ahead to that. That's um, the the situation there is uh, is intensifying. This uh, recent, uh, you know, this week presidential election, whether the Democrats or the Republicans won, we uh, expect uh, post-election uh, civil unrest. Um, with the the um, the situation as it is in the Deep South and. Uh, over here in the deep southwest with the illegal uh, immigrants coming mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have about three, maybe four, uh, counting the Florida, uh, Puerto Ricans, and uh, Cubans. We have about four major ethnic groups pulling at each other for control of the country. Mm-hmm. Now, the 
when this starts, and I don't know what will start it, but I'm sure it's going to happen very soon, there will be civil unrest. There will probably be, like you're talking about, someone gets uh, shot or a uh, building gets burned or a car or a watch riot in several cities at once. But it will it will fracture the country. And uh, although the Bible in prophecy doesn't say that America will uh, have a civil war and, and chew itself apart, um, there are things in there that speak of something uh, Babylon, uh, she, as riding the nations of the world. And at the moment, I think we probably, America does qualify for that, America and Great Britain together. Mm-hmm. Now, they will come down. They will be destroyed in, in like an hour uh, by fire. Now, the Hopi Indian uh, elders of the Shingopathy tribe, Second Mesa, invited Holly and I down there twice to, to visit with them. Now, the first time we went down, we uh, talked uh, in the home with uh, Chief Moa and his son, who translated for us, uh, in the middle of their home, which was filled with people from the tribe, mainly the young people coming in to hear the prophecies that he was now revealing mm-hmm. to them. And they had apparently been, the, the chief's uh, daughter-in-law had seen my face in a dream vision, and so she pointed me out, and that's why all this started. And so he said, it is now time. Uh, he is the, I think, he's calling me the fifth messenger of eight or something like that. They would come to the Hopi, and they could reveal more prophecy to the tribe. And they revealed a lot more, because it was all done in Hopi, than they told me. But what they did share with me later, um, at the edge of a cliff there, we were talking, looking down into the mesa, or beneath the, you know, the mesa floor. Um, they did tell me that what had been revealed was that there was going to be a horrible civil war soon among the Bahana, the, the non-Hopi across the United States. And there would be various factions to this, which we see forming this very day. The civil war would break out, and it would cripple the United States. And while we were crippled, foreign invaders would come from the Middle East and from other places. And um, they said they would be led by a man in a red hat or costume or something, according to their legend. And half of the Hopi, I'd say, are Christian. The other half are traditional. Um, um, I don't know whether animist or what, but they, you know, they they're not exactly Christian. But the common goal or the common prophecy among them is what I'm telling you. Now, they said this would happen, and then there would be horrific geological events that would hit the United States, uh, great upheavals of the land uh, and sinkings in other places and flooding up to the floor. That's why they took me to the edge of the mesa, up to the floor of the mesa, so that the mm, the Hopi uh, tribes on the three mesas would, would communicate by boat between uh, the mesas because the water would be so high. Obviously, no roads. They're out in the middle of the desert in a terrible place anyway. But um, then they said they would have survivors, uh, groups coming from the Civil War in the United States, the rest of the United States, that would come down to the Hopi Nation. And uh, the Hopi and the Navajo were right, uh, just right together there, their, 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 uh, their nations are, would mm-hmm. join together, make a new tribe of men, and move up toward the Four Corners and probably into Colorado, up uh, near Beulah. Where that's where the sacred meeting places here near the Arkansas River has been for a long time. There's still an old footpath running from there down into uh, northern Arizona. So their prophecies are saying this is coming, mm-hmm. and a number of other things they told us uh, that you know from historical um, perspective did uh, did show that uh, 
even though they sounded strange, that they were prophesying, their their their, their prophets were prophesying things that we're seeing now. Well, but Brother Stan, again, I know that you're a, a Christian uh, believer in Jesus Christ, and right. and of course we are, and and majority of our listeners are here. How do you handle something like that when it's sort of an extra biblical kind of uh, utterance? Uh, I, I I know you know truth is truth in a lot of different areas and things, but. You know, a lot of times we always have an issue, you know, if it's something that sort of goes extra biblical or like that. How how did you look at that in light of what you know from the Bible and Bible prophecy? Well, I looked at things that fit with what the Bible said, and the rest I put in the very questionable, if not ridiculous, uh, department. Was yeah. Polite, but cast it out. Right. Mm. Um, they, um, it, it, when you meet them face-to-face uh, in their home environment, you see uh, an unusual thing. They, they are not um, immune to uh, lying or to um, deceit. But when you're talking on the matters of prophecy and, and uh, the future and dealing with um, Matha'u, God, we call him, and they, that's their tribal name for him, you see their, their eyes and their faces are like looking at a crystal clear soul. It's, um, um, you know that when they speak and they're speaking to you in sincerity on this subject that there's no... Um, the seat they're mm-hmm. they're they're open and it's uh mm-hmm. something you don't get in 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 the uh, cities with uh, normal americans uh there's deceit looking away there's just a difference in the way their their demeanor is or like the genuine sincerity and honesty of say politicians for example oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that, or, yeah, or salesmen that. or things like that you know That'd be a yeah. good corollary in our in our society. Um, yeah, do, but now okay. you know, even Brother uh, Dimitri Dudeman has said that the United States will burn. He mm-hmm. came here uh, to tell people that, and his grandson has, has continued the message after Brother Dudeman died. But he said America will burn. There will be a terrible invasion here, and uh, I think the burning will probably either be massive firestorms uh, created by burning things coming out of the sky from the sun or something. Or nuclear war. Hmm. Now, the um, we if if you just look at what's happening here, we have Russia and China, and probably Iran even want to have a piece of the action to come over and wipe America and Israel off the map. And while they're at it, get Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we're a thorn in their side. We consume six or seven times more resources per person than any other person, you know, any other country right. in the world. So. They've got to get us out of the way. The Russians, who are in a deal with Iran and are now taking portions of Georgia for tactical and strategic reasons, um, the Russians need to have us out of the way so that they can march and support Iran in taking out Israel. Now, that means that we're, we're at a, a very critical point here within months, if not weeks, of Ahmadinejad saying, okay, I've got my nukes, I'm going to bomb uh, Israel mm-hmm. and giving them to um, uh, Syria and near in Damascus and between Damascus and the Golan Heights somewhere. If they were to launch a nuclear warhead from there, it is so close. I mean, I've been there. You can throw a stone across the border there from Israel up in the Golan Heights, just about right. I mean, it's just over the Galilee and it's there. Right. So if they launch something, there would be no way to detect it and wipe it out before the darn thing goes off and does damage, severe damage to all of Israel. Mm-hmm. So when Bush is trying to give the Glen Heights to Syria, and, you know, um, this is not good. Uh, it means that God is going to punish us uh, for what we're, we're turning against Israel, in other words. It's interesting you mentioned fire because uh, there was something in the news I saw recently from uh, some chatter that they had gotten overseas 
uh, on some countermeasures, and I frankly I cannot remember if it was attributed to Al Qaeda or if it was some sleeper agents in Iran. I, I have a hard time believing anything my government says, so I, I don't you know, take it for what it's worth. But I remember part of the thought was to start innumerable numbers of fires uh, in areas around our country because they they found how much resources was taking up in addressing these fires. Now mm. the Japanese tried that. Uh, back in World War II, as I'm sure you know, uh, Stan, uh, and they tried the balloons that they floated over and actually created some, but they thought our entire country from coast to coast was covered in forest. It was sort of a last-ditch effort to get us. But And it's funny you mention this because that is something that they're talking about right now, and it's something to create incredible mischief with us and really preoccupy us as if, if somebody were mobilized to do that. It uh, It is, and the Russians uh, have disinformation agents in our country. They've had them since the Cold War. Now, you'll uh, in fact, one of them that uh, is very obvious on the Internet is Sorsha Fall, F-A-A-L. She is um, uh, Russian and uh, kind of pretends to be neutral, but uh, she's really KGB uh, informer, I'm sure. But she's, she's called what? Oh, FSB. KGB is now the FSB, right? Holly now, is that the KGB they're giving you advice, or is that Holly? Off the <laughs> that's Holly doing okay, it. Okay, it's Holly. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, you've got to watch it because uh, the stuff that she's putting out, a lot of people are seeing us, uh, probably modicum to a majority of what she says is from truthful news articles, but then they put their 10% spin of lie on it. And it's basically designed to stir up the people against our government, against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, just to, as Holly said, just to take the heart out of America. And it's, we've warned people, do not even read that stuff. Throw it in the trash because it's not true. You know, uh, it, uh, 10% lie and, and 90% truth is still a lie when you're giving an argument like that. Well, let so, me ask you, Brother Stan, outside of the Bible itself, which we take by faith as the one authoritative source we can use, are there any other regular news sources that, for whatever reason you believe, you, you think are more uh, reliable? And if so, why? Well, there are a number of news sources that Holly goes to every day um, that that give us somewhat of a, of a fair slant on it. But basically, you have to test it, you have to, to read it, and you have to um, analyze it from a biblical source, see what, what the intent of the article is, because most journalists will taint it a bit with their own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she goes to places like uh, Drudge Report, Mm-hmm. Uh, more of the British press is is, is more accurate. She's found, uh, and uh, in the British stuff, you know, they they're pretty straightforward about it. They don't they don't sugarcoat it and whatever. And they 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 talk about America as so right. Well, here's the truth, America. You deal with it. You know, they're not trying to kiss up to us. Um, mainly because I think, uh, for instance, the, the city of London, not not London where you go shopping, but the financial city of London. Right. Um, men from there in that controlling economic organization also control our Federal Reserve Bank in the United States. It's not a federal institution. It's a private corporation run yeah, by right. British uh, industrialists and, econo- and economists. And so people are sitting over dumb and happy thinking our Federal Reserve is, you know, the federal government's uh, banking, handling, money, right. trans- but it's not. Well, we rail, by the Brits. we rail about that until people uh, get tired of hearing us yeah. about that because that's a sore it. spot right. with but, us. Yeah. But, you know, I've got one question. I don't mean to, to jump off here, but you were talking about Iran and about the threat there. And I wondered if this is something that you all discuss 
uh, in Deer to, to uh, prepare because I, I just didn't happen to think to look for it. There was a concern a few years ago about um, the potential of launching a high-altitude uh, nuke, a primitive nuke that yeah. would go off and have an a EMP pulse. Yeah, Holly does cover the EMP uh, situation. Right. even gives maps showing the spread of the radius of the airburst at a certain height over the New okay. England states and how far it would reach and the things that you can do to uh, mitigate that with your electronics that you're going to be needing after that. Now, but I, understand, it's going to be, it's going to be, if they do that, it's going to cripple infrastructure everywhere. Power, communications, right. everything for everybody is going to be permanently just fried. And could take out a lot of your own uh, supplies and electronics you're relying on if you don't properly uh, take care of it. I had heard one time that you could create a makeshift Faraday cage with a good tight-fitting metal. Uh, a gar, uh, you know, heavy-duty outside uh, garbage can that you know with a tight lid that you could suspend a bag in and actually put buffers in there to, to create a, a gap space to be able to put your you know critical electronic items in. Is that is is that true or bunk? It, uh, yes. The 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 uh, condition is this that there can be no air gaps uh, between the lid and the can, and mm-hmm. to to get away from that, you will probably need to do something like. Um, Oh, um, run a welder around it or uh, soldering iron or uh, I've thought about uh, with some of these metal cans just taking some um, copper mesh that you can get down at Lowe's or, or Home right. Depot mm-hmm. and putting that, a, a strip of that around the lip where you join it and soldering that all the way around, uh, soldering it. Yeah, uh-huh. sorry, I'm still speaking Oz talk. <laughs> uh, it, it, soldering it all the way around so that the uh, there are no air gaps between the, right. the metal parts, the bottom part of the, of the trash can and the lid. Then after you do that, you have to then attach a very good uh, electrical connection to a wire going down to a ground rod, and you can get them at lows again, about eight feet long, and you pound that straight down on the ground and and then connect that electrically to that um, garbage can. Mm-hmm. Now, that then allows the EMP pulse to come fall onto the can but not inside of it and go down to ground. Mm-hmm. It's not so much the magnetic part of it, but the charge part of it, the the, the um, radiation part, the electromagnetic radiation that you need to direct into the ground instead of letting it go inside and fry your, mm-hmm. your electronics. Yeah, there may not be anybody outside there to listen to afterwards. Hopefully there's some military installations that are still broadcasting after something like that that have shielded themselves appropriately. But but things like that that you do, um, you can serve multiple purposes like that, right? I mean, if you, if you have a, a bag suspended in there that you put a few electronics, you can also put other valuables in. In your ceiling, it can also possibly even make it watertight or do other kind of things to protect it. So mm-hmm. you can sort of double up in your protections to perform multiple functions, right? Right. Uh, but as far as an EMP uh, protection, I would I would um, not worry so much about making it waterproof as I would uh, making it uh, electromagnetic field proof. Right. Know, oh, I, I understand sure. the difference. But sometimes if, uh, if, if, if you do those provisions you talked about, it can also serve other purposes, too, that – Keep vermin out, or keep other kind of you know pests or things yeah, like that. Yeah, spiders are, are, are a little bit of a pain too because right. they can your electronics and make uh, furry little nests in there and short out stuff sometimes. That's right. Moisture in there. That's so, right. So yeah, yeah, we see that with our little uh, solar lights in the garden. You know, you go out after a few months and one's not working. You take it apart and you find the spider webs that are really thick all through the electronics and mm-hmm. little drops of moisture that collected there and drop down and shorted out your circuit. So. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. And uh, that was an interesting segment. Holy moly. Yeah. 
<laughs> what, what just happened? You know, we've never had the Hopi Indians on here that yeah. I remember. Yeah. What I and what I loved and what you had remarked about here just just previously was how he delivers it with like it's like no big deal. You know, yeah. like it could be you know be Hopi offering, Indians. You know, yeah. like when you've gone and smoked a beef pipe. Yeah. You know, like he could be offering me like a Danish and some extra coffee, <laughs> or we could be talking about you know some prophetic visions he had while he was out talking to Christian Hopis. Could have been in the sweat lodge. Well, yeah. And it was, and to be fair, it was half Christians and half not Christians. Yeah. And they all get very serious about their sort of vision experience. Make of it what you will. Yeah. We just pass it yeah. on. But he's an interesting chap and mm -hmm. uh, follower of Christ and uh, has talked about these on air many other times and yeah. different things. Yeah. So. Like, and it's like no big deal. Like, hey, you know, whatever, man. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was, that was sort of interesting. But, uh, you know, he talked a little bit about the uh, situation in Louisiana as an indication of what can happen, and I mm -hmm. guess there was somebody there that was using their materials to help help out their community. Yeah, that was interesting. I was that was kind of cool, man. Yeah, I, I thought was that was talking so, about the um, storm. I thought that was stuff. sort of neat. Actually, it's like real field data, you know, yeah. on uh, on using this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and then began talking a little bit about what he expects to be uh, war kind of thing with mm -hmm. Russia and Iran and that yeah. kind of thing. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was just watching uh, Webster Tarpley, somebody. Somebody mm -hmm. that we've talked about maybe having on the show someday was yeah. just talking about that yeah. just uh, a couple of days ago. Well, we need to put all our equipment in one of those Faraday cages as well as all our listeners so then mm -hmm. we can broadcast after the EMP pulse. Okay. So, cool me. Well, uh, we need to bring in uh, something related to EMP, and that is... It's a MIRV. MIRV. Uh, MIRV is also a term for a missile. But yeah, but anyway, it's with an I. Yeah. MIRV, come on in and tell our listeners how they can let us know what they think about FutureQuake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're over a little bit. All so. right, let's get out of here. Okay, come back tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Sayonara. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this is the second half uh, of the interview with Stan Deo of Deo Enterprises, mm -hmm. uh, our third installment, uh, talking about preparations for families for mm -hmm. impending catastrophes and crises. Yeah, he's got that big old, well, him and his wife, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, Holly's the one, I think, that wrote Holly? their main book. Yeah, he's got, the, he got a big old huge book. Like many, 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 many pages. In fact, I think it's a good way to defend your family is just to hit people with the book. Well, I was going to say you could actually strap it onto your onto your torso, and it would be a good makeshift body armor. I've heard it so big. Uh huh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Probably a pillow you could sleep with or something. Yeah. There you go. Um, however, though, if you're like for self defense, if you just get the CD copy, I wouldn't use it for that. No, that may, may be a little... Nor well, for could, body armor. You could throw it, you know, like if you threw it fast yeah, enough. like a star or something yeah. like that. Embed their head. 
like yeah. Odd Job did to. Uh, that's exactly where I was going bond. with that. Yeah, actually. yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's what they intended it for. I'm sure we hit the mark right on there for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you think we should go uh, go over and listen to Stan? Let's do it. Yeah, he's one interesting dude, and I think you ought to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll be right back to uh, discuss it. So here's more Stan Dale, and then we'll be back to talk further on Future Quake. Now, we had an expert on our show um, who, who was a, a FEMA expert uh, that sort of had a little chilling uh, postlude at the end of our show uh, talking about different kind of threats of the future that they're looking for. And, and they happen to mention again, and they've mentioned this more than once on our show, that they are very concerned in the government in emergency management about the real appearance of IEDs in our country. Hmm. That we that yeah. they, they said they keep expecting to see uh, these roadside bombs, not just over in Iraq, but over on our own territory here. Of course, you know, I don't know why they don't hit other soft kill areas like, you know, our water supply or food supply things. But have you read anything about that uh, and have any comment on it? Well, it sounds like a very uh, plausible thing because uh, the materials to make IEDs in the United States are probably more readily available to terrorist types than they are in Iraq. Well, make, yes and no, because there's a lot of uh, military stuff that goes missing there, too, so I don't suppose they have that. But yeah. the, the point is when we start to have civil disorder here, there are going to be devices like that, uh, Placed near roads or major cross uh, crossroads of highways, major cities, uh, exits to and from those cities, there will be gangs forming, local tribes. Because if we can't control uh, emergency uh, things with FEMA, with the staff they've got, believe me, we have no way of controlling massive civil disorder, even with UN troops. They're just too big a country and too many mm-hmm. cities and places mm-hmm. to guard. It's going to make the roads very dangerous. Um, you get in your car. You're liable to run into one of these IEDs you're talking about, or you're liable to run into a roadblock with gangs or shotguns that uh, don't even care whether you live or die. They want what you've got in the car, and they'll take it. And it'll be like the Wild West. Right. So, mm. I mean, you could even have rogue uh, National Guard units, for that matter. You could have <laughs> oh, your, your local armory, uh, you know, a bunch of like-minded people that are very disgruntled uh, with something that's going on. And, and believe me, there are a lot of things that are going on in our country that could cause people to be disgruntled. Uh, whether it's appropriate or not, uh, th- they could do these kind of things. So, um, you know, we, 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 we've got natural threats and we've got all of these man-made threats. Uh, the, the whole economic uh, aspect of things, I know that, that it doesn't necessarily pose an, an immediate physical threat, but there is a likelihood we can wake up one day and find out that they have put on a long-term bank holiday. In fact, I know this has already been discussed, where we simply can't get money out for an indefinite period of time or uh, some other kind of collapse. Uh, we we uh, just reviewed a story here that uh, Ron Paul was just talking about yesterday about uh, a meeting on November 15th that is scheduled, uh, and they're planning to roll out new currency. We don't know what's going to happen to our old currency, our, our treasury bonds, anything like that. Um, what, what are your aspects on, or what do you see as the likely scenario? Did Ron, Paul, did Ron Paul say they're going to put the Amero in place then, or what? He didn't use the word Amero per he se, made, but he, he said there would be a new an, currency, though. Yeah, he made some sort of an overture that something about global currency was going to be talked about publicly on the 15th. And he was a little bit, as I recall, he was a little bit shy on details, but said, look for November the 15th. But he was explicit. He said that's when it would start, and he said it would go between then and the end of November. Mm-hmm. It would start to be unveiled to the public. Well, look at this. Uh, a lot of people have been pulling their money out of their 401s, you know, selling yeah. shares or whatever else. Well, they talk and, to, go ahead. 
and taking it out of the bank, you know, digging a hole, putting a tin can type thing in their backyard so they got cash. Yeah. And the powers that be are not um, unaware of this at all. It's predictable. Mm-hmm. But to get control over people, what they will do at some point is it, when the when the dollar falls uh, and fails, they will issue a new currency, and it will probably be uh, a global currency this time. And that currency, then if you've got stuff stored, say you had a thousand dollars stored in tin can out the back, they might say to you, "Well, we'll give you uh, one dollar in every ten of yours of the new global currency." So mm-hmm. immediately, you've lost ninety percent of that because. They won't accept your old money, and you won't have to have the new money. And by that same token, when you come in to exchange it, they will know that you were one of those characters that takes action and uh, hid some money and stuff right. to fight it. So your, your your name goes on that little hot list. Mm-hmm. So uh, even if you got gold and silver coins, and uh, they can call the gold back. I don't know whether they do the silver or not, but mm-hmm. um, in the end, what is going to be the, the highest value currency is the things that money buys that you need, like food, water, medicine, home, gas. You see what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have all the money of any currency you want, go to the store in the shelves, and they're going to say, well, sorry, I haven't got it. Well, I've got money. Well, sorry, I haven't got it. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize this. Um, it only takes a little interruption of the fuel or a tremendous hike in the fuel prices, and the stocks of foods on your shelves start to get uh, – they start to dwindle and they start to go up in price. Well, here here in Nashville, um, we we were without gas for weeks, yeah. and nobody could really tell us why, other than there was one trunk line out of Atlanta recently. It wasn't directly tied to a hurricane type yeah. event. Chattanooga, surrounding cities had gas. We didn't, and no one could say why. So you know, under benign conditions like that, we have these things occur. No telling what can happen if we have more severe conditions occur. Uh, we've also had people on our show talk about avian bird flu and the yep. fact that even if you make every provision not to be infected, uh, there's not much reason going downtown because the once the food is gone, uh, transportation is likely to stop as far as transporting food and supplies. And they said, you better be prepared for three months to have enough stuff at home. These are government officials that told us on our show. Okay, uh, well, I agree completely. If not six months, I think three months is certainly a really good start. But most people these days, if they haven't done preparation yet, are going to have to ease into it because they're short for money, you know, right. to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so so I, yeah. I, I guess there's a, a lot of reasons to argue why, why this could occur. Uh, but now, Holly, just tell me, let me just interrupt here. You yeah. know, about this avian flu and the, the reason we say six months is because it comes in waves of two or three waves. It'll go through the country once and come back again the other way and then maybe mm-hmm. a third time. And that it's going to do, as you say, wipe out a lot of people and keep them at home, uh, away from the job so that they can keep, you know, keep well. And the government will probably suggest this. Now, your food supplies in all of your major cities of the United States, over at least 120 major cities, in, in three days' time, maybe two days' time, if there are no food trucks coming in, the shelves will be emptied of everything. Mm-hmm. They'll be out of food in two to three days. Yeah, and wow. if it's in, like if like if there's a hurricane about to hit Florida, we've seen this time and again. These stupid people live down there. No hurricane season comes. They don't prepare. They get the warning, hurricane coming, big deal on the way. They run down, and in a day and a half to two days, they clean the shelves of everything, including, you know, Brussels sprouts, which aren't exactly how my list of goodies. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. everything goes out yeah. in a panic. Right, and then there are people that step on each other, shoot each other, and if we're getting into the area we're talking about, where you've got this avian flu and it's a threat to life and health, you can see where people get real testy. Right, that's right. So you don't want to be out there doing that. You want to be at home, locked up, 
and don't go out unless you have to. Mm-hmm. And that means you have to have your own food, water, medicine, whatever you need there at home for the duration mm-hmm. and okay. going out minimum. And the, and the continued theme I see here, a recurring theme, is that if you wait until these events occur, you're you're way too late to begin. It, it re- oh. necessitates oh. and requires that you start when the skies are clear, when everybody thinks you're crazy, when the folks down at church laugh at you. Those are the time when you need to prepare because it will be too we, late otherwise. We we have a dinner party here once a month with our neighbors, uh, several neighbors, and um, oh, about six or seven months ago we were at one of these dinner parties, and uh, uh, people were asking Holly about the book and everything and, you know, preparing. And one guy comes over, and he says to me, he says, hey, I don't have to worry about it. I know you guys have got stock over here. If it really does happen, I'll come over and get something from you. And I said, you know, Tom, I says, uh, I'd hate to shoot a neighbor. And he went, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. And, you know, uh, they don't think about it, that uh, you're not just sitting there preparing for them. You've got your own family and children, people to worry about it. And mm-hmm. uh, when they come over, uh, it's go away. Mm-hmm. Now, we do suggest, as we've done, that, that there are some dehydrated uh, soups and foods that you can get in bulk in little containers that you can give to these people that come to the rash rather than shoot them and say, look, here's enough for a week. Go away, and I hope that after this you mm-hmm. can find your own food because that's all you get from us. Could you and make it, them like indentured servants or something like yeah. that? Or, <laughs> go clean my car for a yeah, top ramen. You could chain them out to your fields. <laughs> it would be better, you know. It would be better if the households in your neighborhood got together and pulled together and said, "Look, we need to defend ourselves as a group, right? You know, as a local tribe, right?" And, and, and you and, can't throw that much food for everybody, but if you can get every fourth or you know third neighbor or something to start to do that, at least you have the basis of uh, a line of defense. Um, you can't defend one house all by yourself. You, sure. you just can't. Right. We have neighborhood and, watches. We already have a Preston established where people look after each other. Uh, you know, people need all to find out who are the elderly in your neighborhood, who are the other people that have special needs or medical needs. This is an opportunity as Christians where we can minister to people. Oh, absolutely. You know, when Katrina hit... Uh, uh, over, uh, oh gosh, what, two, three or four years ago? Well, 2005, yeah. Okay. When it hit, after it did, uh, we got phone calls and emails and stuff from people that had had Holly's book. And one guy was, uh, and prepared properly, who sailed right on through the disaster without a problem. But one of them really stood out, and it was a judge. Uh, I think he was over Mississippi, as I recall. And he said that the storm had wiped out his entire neighborhood except for his house. And he had a generator, he had fuel for it, he had uh, water, he had communications, he had food, and tools to start rebuilding and moving junk out of the way. And his house became the neighborhood rebuilding center. Hmm. And he reorganized his neighborhood and everything, and he was able, with all the supplies he had there, to to save his his neighbors. Not just to give them stuff, but the the, the tools and stuff for them to help themselves. And hopefully they'll never forget that. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. We tend to have a short memory, but uh, things well, are going to get very, very difficult here. Um, you know, look, I went to Washington oh, probably in 80, oh, what was it, 83 or 84. I was doing a film documentary. Mm-hmm. 83, yeah. And um, uh, I saw by being the, the, the minority uh, race there, what it's like to be a minority race because the other races, the race that kind of populates D.C., mm-hmm. was very rude and condescending and unhelpful to me. In fact, threatening. And, mm-hmm. uh, and when I went to New York, the same thing happened in the movie theaters. I went to outside the mm-hmm. hotel. 
Okay, so I'm telling you it, that was not in a time of crisis. And when I look back on that and say, put these people under stress, and they're going to bring out the guns for real. And and the shoe can be on the other foot too. Uh, I mean, you're, you're saying we're, 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 that was your role at that time to be of a minority. Uh, when, whenever you're in a minority, whoever you are, in context to the people around you, uh, people forget decency. People forget. In fact, they don't show a lot of it under normal circumstances, like you're saying. But yep. it really goes out the window. And in fact, people who have some some uh, modicum of decency, uh, even that can go out the window when things really get desperate. Look, I, I have a friend here that I see in business who is a, a Mexican gentleman. Uh, he listens to Coast to Coast. We talk about things. Mm-hmm. And I asked him one day, I said, what would happen if we had civil war here, you know, between the south side and north side of Pueblo here? Mm-hmm. What would you do? And he said, you know, you're my friend, but I would have to side with my people. Mm-hmm. And okay. we're talking about it, you know. And so right. um, I said, si, senor, be happy, me hermano. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if he's, if he's good to you, he might uh, give you a heads up to tell you to uh, – Hoof it out of there, you know, you and Holly. Uh, well, that, so that might be the best way here. Mm-hmm. We've made provision for that. Um, it's um, where we are is a very difficult place to get out of without running into road gangs. But mm-hmm. hopefully, the good Lord will um, be our our best messenger and tell us a day or two or an hour ahead of time to, mm-hmm. to to go to our safe place. Well, speaking of the good Lord, I want to focus um, in our our last segment on the spiritual implications of what we're talking about because I know a lot of the things that we just briefly touched on here are subject matter you go in depth in your books, uh, Dare to Prepare in Prudent Places. But um, w- one last thing that's, that's an area of your real expertise and notoriety that I want to mention but I, I don't want to spend much time on is your unique uh, analysis capability regarding earthquakes. Can you can you very briefly tell our listeners who are not familiar with this about what you have come up with and, and how your uh, particular capability has been used? Right. In 1995, the U.S. Navy at Monterey, California, started producing a what they called a sea surface temperature map. And it uh, they used their satellites and their submarines and buoys and ships and all kinds of, of data collection all over the world to give twice-a-day reports which showed the sea surface temperatures of the sea and also at depths, you know, several thousand feet below the sea for obvious reasons. Now, they made a public version of this which showed the surface temperatures. And uh, I was just getting on the Internet in those days in Australia, and I saw that this was a, a very unique map and figured out a way to – they have what's called an anomaly version of that, which – is a, it tells you the deviation of temperature in a certain spot in the ocean over the last 30 days. Today's deviation over the average of 30 days is mm-hmm. called the anomaly. And I used their maps, and I took the anomaly maps for several days, and I subtracted them from each other graphically, and it showed me some interesting patterns. Um, and I thought, well, those are pretty little patterns, and I threw it on the top of my computer desktop and forgot about it for a week or two. Then a big earthquake occurred somewhere in the southwest Pacific, around the Ring of Fire, and I thought, you know, one of those maps I was looking at, my, my little thing showed some some blue and yellow, like, butterfly wings over those fault lines uh, last week. So I went back and started to compare and to learn and to develop a, a method of forecasting quakes uh, over um, basically known fault lines and some unknown ones whenever these um, butterfly uh, temperature variations occurred on opposite sides of a fault line. And... Uh, it's called a thermionic analysis. But anyway, it's basically an electrical phenomenon that transferred heat from one side of a, of a fracture building 
to the other, and it went up into the atmosphere uh, a little ways and then down into the sea on the other side of, of the uh, fracture and down into the land as well. Now, I I developed the technique. Art Bell got a hold of me when I was doing that, and he said, oh, this is fantastic, and for years, like maybe nine or ten years, I did this, a face of recording the data every day, mm-hmm. and uh, I even advised the the, uh, the naval admiralty of the uh, country of Mexico and a number of um, islands, small island countries, about 50 of them through mm-hmm. their, their British uh, access, on um, possible tidal wave uh, results from major earthquakes building up in their area. Now, this went on fine until about 2006 in November, I think it was, and the Navy stopped producing the maps. Now, Holly and I had been out to mm-hmm. California to the Monterey Center and had gotten in with security passes they gave us into the Cray Computer Center where these were all done. I talked to the, the programmer in charge of it. And what they did not tell us at the time was how they got the data in our maps really. Um, and so anyway, when they cut off my access to those um, sea surface temperature anomaly maps, um, I started looking around the world for other uh, countries that high, had high-resolution sea surface temperature anomaly maps. And, and there was one or two places that had big, beautiful maps. And I started trying to get those to work like the Navy one, and they wouldn't work. So it took until earlier this year when I found out uh, from a, a news article the Navy has been using satellite data for years that analyzes uh, charges in the atmosphere. And that satellite data was also being fed into their their mix of data for these uh, sea surface temperature maps. You wouldn't see it, wouldn't know mm-hmm. it. But it affected the data, and that's why I was able to see this charge differential when no one else could, uh, because the Navy's map was the only one that had it. And I was I was like seven out of ten times I would predict an earthquake accurately um, from six hours to five days ahead of time. In fact, one time wow. when we were talking to Art Bell on his show live, uh, he was asking me about it. He said, well, is there anything uh, on your uh, forecast that we can look at for the next week? And I said, well, not a lot, Art. I said, there's... There's one building under Japan, and uh, it's probably going to be, I don't know, probably four, five and a half, something like that, Richter. And we went on with the show for about 10 or 15 minutes, and he had his news director interrupted and came in and said, Art, Art, guys, there's just been a Richter 5.2 in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. There you go. But anyway, they're not all like that. But uh, I can't do it anymore because um, I don't have access to that data. I do look at um, periodically at swarms of earthquakes in various places mm-hmm. to see um, what is building up to possibly a bigger release in California or down in New Zealand. Uh, we're watching a, a, a situation down there now, then, which is going to be quite catastrophic when it goes with uh, Lake Taupo, which is a, mm, a caldera, in essence, filled with water, has a huge volcano under it. The last time it erupted was in 86 A.D., and when it did, it threw dust so high in the air and so much that Chinese astronomers in the northern hemisphere reported three days of darkness from it, and that's building to go again. And that one, the Lord gave me some dream visions uh, that were so explicit, even before I knew that Lake Tapo existed when I was, you know, like 5,000 miles Mm -hmm. away, that when I did go there with Holly, I I recognized buildings uh, and sites that had been shown in the dream vision, and uh, where we stood, the water was even steaming by our feet on the edge of that lake. Mm-hmm. So uh, it scared the heck out of the locals. But um, well, I hope all of our Kiwi listeners out there, Future Quake, I hope you're making note of this. And uh, oh, there's a number of good Christian folk down there that have had even more dream visions than I have about the eruption that's coming there. It's going to take out half of the North Island, totally oh. wipe it out. Oh my oh, goodness! Yeah. 
Now, so we're watching. Uh, that North Island, New Zealand, is the most um, uh, stressed place like this on the planet. It's got a twist going on. Rather than just a sliding fault line, it's got a twist to it. And it is. It, 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 we can see it. And uh, my visit down there, I went on the radio down there. They heard Art Bell down there, and the Department of Tourism in New Zealand uh, asked me never to come back again. Uh. And, and uh, well, they did. They did. And but my visit down there um, embarrassed the government because they weren't giving enough funding to the GNS group that, that, that like the USGS for uh, New Zealand. They didn't give enough money to do sensors to know when the disaster was coming. Because of the the, the uproar that it caused in the press. Uh, they gave them the money they needed for new equipment, for a submarine to go down and scan the bottom, and for new early warning devices, all kinds of stuff. They got funding for what they needed to, to have early warning. So mm-hmm. even though it was embarrassing at the time, uh, it did have a good result and possibly even a better result later when the real event happened. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And... Uh... We explored new fields in this segment of our interview with Stan Deo. Uh, as an understatement. Yeah. I, <laughs> I brought up a couple of things that uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Riley had brought up with us yeah. about IEDs locally. Yes. They were talking a little bit about uh, he IEDs. Like, he seemed like he was intrigued by that. Yeah. I think that's something he hadn't really considered, yeah. which is interesting for a guy who's a, kind of the preparedness. Right, right, or, right, right. Or married to the preparedness guru. Right. Right, and um, we we also talked a little bit about uh, what she shared with us about avian bird flu mm-hmm. and about uh, how quickly infrastructure and supplies will run out. Well, this and is he some, echoed that too. Yeah, this is something we talked a little bit about with Mish from an economic standpoint, which we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about here. This, you know, we're all on this just-in-time inventory right. thing, two or three days a week, you know, and then suddenly we're, you know, we're we're in a fix. Yeah, you know. We're in a real fix. We outsmarted ourselves with that kind of uh, Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, no matter what these issues are, it all comes back to the same thing. Keep three months or so of food and Mm -hmm. essentials Mm -hmm. at your place. Yeah. You know, don't buy some stuff for a little bit. Buy some stuff to stock up. The Bible talks about that. You know, Joseph led the children of Egypt to do that. Yeah. You know, prepare up. Um, You know, Noah was told to prepare for something that was coming. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else ignored it. Of course, they made fun of him. Yeah. Ha, ha, like ha, people ha, will ha. do of us when and we do it. And then it starts raining. Right. <laughs> you know, you think about the man who built his house on the rock instead of the sand. You know, everybody mm-hmm. made fun of him, yeah. you know, until hard times. Nobody wants to think that hard times are going to come, and particularly Christians. Man, I tell you, I had a conversation. Now, he was a non-Christian, so maybe this analogy isn't mm-hmm. entirely accurate. But we were talking about uh, we were talking about stuff, and I said, man, we're looking at the next Great Depression here, and... Right. You, know, you might think about, you know, stocking up, doing these other things. And he's like, man, I just got to, like, focus on the love, dude. All right. And I said, well, you can't eat love. And mm-hmm. he was like, this is too negative, man. I got to go. <laughs> so like, he's when he's staring down the barrel, he's just going to yeah. tell him to focus like, on love. Yeah, it's like, I like the banjo, man. Put the I'm little daisy in the barrel. On love and banjo. And- well, you know, um, Christians are even more so that way. We yeah. have to make a decision Perhaps. to prepare. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. the Lord has given us examples in Scripture that it makes mm-hmm. sense to do this. Nice so. warm sleeping bags. And, and I liked the, the whole, uh, in fact, our government is telling us to do this, too. Yeah. I, I like the point he made about neighborhoods looking out for each other and preparing together, mm-hmm. preparing for this. Indeed. So somebody who can uh, prepare you uh, with information is Merv. And he can tell you how you can contact us and let you know uh, how you can... Tell us what you think about the show. So, Merv, come on in and tell our listeners how they can contact us. 
Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're down to the... Down to the nitty-gritty. Yeah. Let's just get out of here. Okay. You always say that. Let's just get out of here. Uh, All right. Either that or 54321. I'm not going to say either of those today. Okay. I want to say, tuned in to us next week, next time. Tomorrow. Next, tomorrow. Any of those times, and we hope your future is very bright. And that's my line. Goodbye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And being Thursday, that means we're in our last installment of our interview with Stan Deo mm-hmm. of Deo Enterprises, mm-hmm. uh, talking about preparations for families for impending catastrophes and crises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going coming past third base toward home round plate. And, round and home, and the catcher's up. We're going, yeah. uh, we're going in uh, spikes up, it looks like. <laughs> well, one part we didn't talk about yesterday was something he's well known for was his earthquake predictions. Yeah, that's a whoa. How, yeah, yeah, he used how to always do that on coast to coast with Art mm-hmm. Bell. He always was, but then they then they he couldn't get access. They to They quit the doing those maps. Yeah, that was sort of sad. Bummer. So yeah. now now just to be clear, those maps were they were temperature, but they were also electromagnetically generated or something. Well, I thought they were actually just temperature variations. I didn't understand something. There was something with the to atmosphere. do with the atmosphere. There. I didn't have the educational background necessary to understand that. Yeah, there you that. go. But it uh, it was temperature fluctuations or anomalies mm-hmm. in the water that mm-hmm. correlated to events of earthquakes. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some other things uh, coming up with this to finish up. So okay. I think you'll find it whatever. It'll be interesting. So till then, here is Stan Deo, and we'll be right back to wrap it up on Future Quake. Well, Brother well, Stan, yeah. I want to shift gears here just a little bit. All and, right. Uh, in, our, in our last segment of our show, uh, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, uh, things from a Christian perspective, uh, and I, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your Christian uh, witness that I've observed over the years in many secular forums and the media venues that, you, that you've been in. Um, can you can you uh, tell our listeners that we we have a pretty savvy listenership here of people regarding Bible prophecy? Uh, you know, they we all have a little different spin on some of the details, but uh, can you can you share with us sort of how you see things? Uh, all the things we're talking about, how it plays into the picture specifically in the Bible. You, you mentioned a few things there, but uh, what, what do you think is going to be happening, uh, you know, just prior to the day of the Lord? Uh, and what kind of, because of that, what kind of future events should we be seeing and preparing for? Well, now, what do you call the day of the Lord? What, what event do you call Well, let me be a little careful in my terminology here. Some people I know will, will call the day of the Lord uh, a, a final 24-hour type period when, when the Lord returns to fight the final battle, and there's some that uh, see that as a final period of judgment. Uh, if if some espouse a uh, you know a pre-tribulation rapture, I, I guess what I what I'm referring to is is 
you know, uh, if and when a calling up occurs, the timing of that calling up. Prior to that, the the, the last days, uh, we call the birth pangs up to that time. What kind of things will we see uh, up to that particular period of time? Well, we're going to see, on a global scale, we're going to see an increase in catastrophic events threatening not only the United States, but the population of the entire planet. This will be like famine, diseases. Uh, these are all scriptural. Uh, an economic collapse uh, of the, the thing, the threat of an incredible earth-shattering war, nuclear war. Um, these four things alone are enough, but there are others. But these four major things will force the people of earth, all nations, to say, is there no way to stop this madness? We need to eat. We need medicine. We we need organization. We we can't go on this way. We're going to kill ourselves. And I guess the key question I'm asking is, do you feel that Christians are going to be exposed to some or all of that, what you're just talking about? Yeah, I think some Christians will be. I do think some will be raptured. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have that, you know, because of dream visions I've had and uh, from study of the Word. In the Hebrew, uh, even in the Old Testament, there's evidence of a, a pre-trib rapture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Um, what uh, is going to happen there is that um, some Christians will not really be um, active, will not be like uh, spirit-filled, they'll be uh, pew or bench sitters and warmers, and they will realize after a, a portion of the Christian community has been taken out that they weren't really, they didn't have oil in their lamp. They were the five unwise virgins. And then it's like the um, the um, Left Behind series. They will They will get together, they will uh, be uh, subject to um, uh, the, the new world government that will come up, but even above what they put in the, the Left Behind series, these Christians will have to deal with a government that is powered with weapons and knowledge from quote-unquote aliens, which are really the fallen ones, which will supply these to the Antichrist at the time and return for him giving them possession of certain lands and peoples for their own use whether they be giants to eat them or whether they be genetic research or whatever, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. Now, following what you're talking about, the Benai Elohim, the sons of God in the Bible, like Genesis chapter 6 type characters? Well, the Benai Elohim of the the nature I'm talking about are the Nephilim, the mm-hmm. bad guys, the guys that, that, that uh, fell. Well, yeah, and they were the by, the byproduct, as I understand, in Genesis chapter 6 uh, that were produced in, in the land those days well, and then after the flood, too. Yeah, and uh, this crosses many a rabbi's eyes when you ask him, okay, if the flood killed everybody, then how did Og survive on the other side and become king of Bashan? You know, mm-hmm. he was the last of the known giants, you know, officially anyway. Um, yeah, the, there was the crossbreeding of the um, the fallen angels, or the fallen uh, beings from the uh, upper levels of our universe, uh, universes, I guess would be the best way to say it, uh, parallel universes, where different levels of um, uh, beings live. I mean, like when Paul is saying he's caught up into this heaven or that heaven, that level, it's like looking at concentric universes, and there are levels to it, and the top level is where God, uh, the presence of God dwells, and where Satan uh, watched over his throne. But anyway, these beings have been down here before even the time of the Garden of Eden, and they did something, I'm not sure what it was, to really cause God to... to make the earth waste and void. I'm, I'm a, a student of the gap theory in Genesis. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's interesting, your comment on that and also the comment about a, a partial rapture falls right in line with a very interesting theologian by the name of George Pember who wrote a book mm-hmm. you're probably familiar with called Earth's Earliest Ages. 
I don't know that I've read it. Oh, well, but I think you'd really? be Boy, you, should check you, would, you would be uh, amazed to read that one. P-E-M-B-E-R, George Pember. It was written, I believe, in 1876. Oh, and yeah. it's the first reference that I'm aware of of uh, the gap theory, and I think it was largely in response to come up with a biblically-based response to the, the findings of bones at the Charles Darwin and things like that, and to try to put together a story that's reasonable, you know, that could be biblically defended while solving other mysteries of the Bible. So not to distract you, but, uh, uh, and he also, he wrote extensively in, in prophecy and talked about a, a partial rapture for those who, who have oil in their lamps, like you said. So um, you, you might be interested in that, you know, that's something 130-odd years ago that well, uh, is very consistent. Well, the no matter how old it is. Mm-hmm. Indeed. You know, I, I went back to, uh, I studied Hebrew, uh, the, the classical Hebrew, to uh, so that I could I could translate the Old Testament, the the Torah, in particular, from the oldest known copies of it, because I wanted to get the least polluted by people that get in and and, and screw up books, you know, by putting their own spin on them and their own translation. I want to get to the grassroots Torah that Moses had, and in doing so, I because I was slow at the Hebrew, I I developed a way to translate word by word and portions of word by portions of word. Because the Hebrew language is uh, basically built around three-letter verbs that become adjectives and nouns, you know, extensions to them. And anyway, mm-hmm. without boring the details, I did develop the technique, and eventually I took it to a rabbi friend of mine in Perth. And I said, look what I found. And I explained it to him. He said, oh, no, you, you couldn't be right. Uh, that, that couldn't be true. He says, look, I'm a scribe. I, I, I write the scrolls by hand, the, the Torah, for the, this, the uh, synagogue. I said, well, okay. I said, um, let me see what, what yours says here. So he, he went and unrolled one that he'd written many times, you know, by hand in Hebrew. And he got to the spot we were talking about, about the Melchizedek. And he, his face got red, and he danced around the room on one foot and then the other, and he yelled, and he cried, and he said, will you forgive me? And I said, for what? And he then he explained that he had misread this all of his life by turning two parts of the word of the name Melchizedek around. And would I show him what I had found and just that name alone? And just the name of Melchizedek tells about uh, the, the, the the pattern for redemption uh, in the value of the numbers uh, or the letters of uh, 40, 30, 20, 10 in Mele, uh, Melchi, and then Sedek means to adorn one with the spoils of plunder, which Abraham did. Um, anyway, told the whole story just the name, and so I went on to show him a few other things I'd found in, in just the, the normal word translation. Whoa! And he sat down with me, and he said, he he started filling a box. I mean, a big box full of a priceless documents and books and it's like I'd never be able to buy. He said, take these home and read them and then bring them back. But he said, on the Ark of the Covenant, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You are telling me things, he said, that we do not ever write down. And you have gotten them from the written word and you have gotten them and told me things that we sing or say in the yeshiva, in the rabbi school, but never write down and have never written down. And you're getting this out this way. He said, I'm absolutely astounded. He said, let me share with you some secrets that we know. And then he went on to show me some uh, decoding verses to how to decode the, the Song of Moses, and then uh, how the, in the the old version of the Torah, uh, over the Hebrew letters there are little little tiny things that look like commas over seven of the letters, and, and not in every place they occur, but just in some places. And sometimes there'll be three commas over a letter, or, or, or one or two, and those are called the crowns or the shagatnei gates, uh, the tagin crowns. And those crowns, uh, Moses told them, I have put those there because they hold a message as great as the one you read in the Hebrew beneath, but it is not for now. 
and we have basically pretty much cracked the code on how that works. Now, have yeah. you written this down in a book as well, too, no, or some document? No. no, I did use some of, of the technique in writing the Vindicator Scrolls to find where the Garden of Eden was and is today and where Atlantis was and how, um, you know, we can find it. Um, unfortunately, it's in the middle of a war zone that will probably never go away in the Saudi Peninsula, but we did find in mm-hmm. oil records, drilling records, uh, the, the mines, uh, the surface mines of the types of lead and other products that... that um, uh, Plato talked about in the Critias and Timaeus debates about Atlantis. Hmm. And now, uh, with satellite photos, we even found where we think the, the, the sunken uh, capital is. Now, is, uh, is that document still available for sale anywhere? I have about six copies left here that are kind of, you know, the last of the original printing. I'm not going to reprint it because it's so expensive in the color form and, 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 you know, that I did. But I may, if I get time, put it up as an ebook on the website. Uh, okay, please do. Yeah, we would, we would like to review it and comment on it. Yeah, Tom and Tom okay. and Future really want to see what you've come up with. Well, I went to actually it was so good. I went to um, Jacques Cousteau's people before Gulf War One, and I said, "Look, uh, I know you've looked for Atlantis in the, in the uh, Mediterranean, and you didn't find it." I said, uh, "Will you sit down with me and let me show you my maps and why I think it's where it is?" And so we sat on the Alcyon, the the, the sailless um, boat. It wasn't the Calypso; it was the other one, with the big vertical pipe sails. And we sat beneath decks. And uh, I talked to her with Captain Drossoff, and I said, "Look, here it is." And he looked at it, and he, after a while, he went over to the fridge and he cracked out a couple of beers, and he says, "Have a beer." He said, "That that sounds logical." He said, "I understand why we looked in the wrong place now." Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started looking at what it would cost. Uh, it was about a million and a half dollars a week to fly the divers and equipment out from Europe over to the Persian Gulf where we would need to, to do our first search. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were going to look at taking the, the Calypso into the area, and then Gulf War One broke out. So we delayed it for a while, and as good Lord would have it, uh, electronics man, uh, who was a relative for President Clinton's actually, um, had been at White House several times, was on board the Kitty Hawk. And he contacted me from the Kitty Hawk by, by email and saying, look, um, I'm sitting here in the Persian Gulf. <laughs> and I, you know, I had the book out by the time. And he says, um, can we be any help? And I said, yeah, can you get him to do a deep scan? And I gave him the location because we couldn't take the Calypso in there. It was a war zone. And even after Gulf War One was over, for a long time, it was unsafe to take boats in because they had what they call bubble mines that lay down on the bottom of the Persian Gulf, which is fairly shallow. And when your ship went over like the Calypso, if it went off, it would put a big bubble right up underneath the midships and lift your ship out of the water from the middle and crack it and take it. Yeah. And they just, they just couldn't afford to risk it no matter what insurance is there. There's too many other projects depending on Calypso. So we had to cancel it. And uh, to this day, it, uh, you know, we've never been able to go and we'll probably not be able to go over and show people about the Atlantean civilization being formed by the fallen ones uh, spoken of in the, in the Bible. I'm pretty confident that... Uh, Tom and I could probably sneak in there. We, I think I still got I my. I swim good and. Well, I still got my ninja garb. Yeah. Uh, in the, I'm a great swimmer. You know, for, and, uh, my frogman career, I think yeah. I could do something like that. I was always a good grappler. So. Hey, uh, we, we've got about nine minutes left, maybe just a little under that. Can you give us just a quick uh, taste of what you're doing on the technology front? I, 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 I knew you were still doing some work in advanced propulsion and energy systems when I saw you in 2005, and I see now you've got a new venture that may be rolling out called uh, Halo Orbital Technologies. Can yeah. You, can you well, update us on things? Yeah, Halo Orbital Technologies is um, it, it, we're 
we're behind. Uh, I've got my engineer over in another state who's got all the components and avionics and design. We've got it all put together for a 20-inch diameter flying saucer. Um, we, we're actually waiting on me to finish some of the whole manufacture I've got to do over here because he doesn't have the equipment there. But for, believe it or not, nine months of this year, because Holly's book has been so incredibly in demand, I mean, like three times to six times normal, you know, at, at times during the, like, just huge demand, uh, I've had to do my portion of getting that book out to market, uh, you know, like the sales and, uh, um, you know, helping with the, the box wrapping and all that kind of stuff or back box making for the packing. Uh, I just haven't had time to get out and uh, get the equipment I need to finish that model. I'm hoping to do that before the end of the year, but it, it really depends on a lot of other things that will take higher priority. Mm-hmm. As far as the energy, um, we have been approached by uh, a gentleman uh, who uh, wants to, uh, to sponsor the R&D in that. I did apply for a patent, which was rejected by the patent office. That it just couldn't work, which we kind of expected. And then they turned right around and published it on the Internet, which is okay, but um, fortunately I hadn't put everything in there that, that needed to be to make it work. So, you know, as far as, as, as extracting it. They, they put your application online? Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do that now. To do that. Right. They weren't supposed to, but they did. Yeah. And um, so the area I'm going to be looking at first will probably be um, a charged antenna array, a thermionic uh, version of that, which will take energy delivered to the planet by the solar wind. Hmm. Um, then the secondary form of that, or, or alternate energy, will be an electrostatic um, Kelvin water drop version that uses air instead of water to convert um, wind-moving particles of something or other through the um, portions, uh, through the the collectors of the device, which will then build up a high-voltage charge, which we will uh, remove periodically and uh, convert it down to a low-voltage DC pulse into charging batteries. Um, There's another deep well process we're looking at, which is not quite as uh, reliable because you have to go down you know, probably eight or 900 feet in, in various states, not every state, but to, to hit uh, an area of conductive water where we can tie into what's called the telluric earth current, um, or telluric currents because it, it's earth is in telluric. But uh, that process would allow us to uh, get the charge differential from underneath the surface of the earth and reference it to the atmosphere and have a continuous power source from that day and night. Um, little known to most people is that the telluric earth currents, which are... Um, not constantly surge day and night. These currents actually drive clouds and thunderstorms from underneath the surface of the earth. Uh, they are the, the main motivating power for the direction they take other than the normal wind currents. So, anyway. And that's uh, telluric currents? Spell yeah, that. T-E-L-L-U-R-I-C, telluric. Okay, right. Okay, that's what I thought. I think Wikipedia might even have something on it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Future's uh, Ph.D. in engineering is in combustion science, so it sounds like you're trying to put me out of business here. But, <laughs> but uh, we, when you're ready for some of this stuff to be looked at, um, you know, as, as an inventor myself, who's most of my livelihood has been on my inventions, I would certainly love if you felt so comfortable to be able to come out and see some of these things, uh, you know, in partial operation or whatever you got going on. You think you might find find an opportunity for me to come out there? Oh, it'll be a while before we knew that, Dr. Future. Okay. It's, um, I, I'd say it'll be probably a year before I've even got something up and running. Uh, but, yes, uh, you'd be welcome when we've got it up and doing. But 
Uh, another one I was going to tell you about, another method, is it's uh, called a triboluminescent converter, and that's what uh, T. Henry Murray uh, was working on. And if you've ever watched television, which I'm sure you have, with the old televisions that aren't LCDs, they're like um, glass tubes and the phosphor on it and the electron beam hits it and makes a dot of light that we see as TV. That phosphor coating on there is primarily zinc sulfide or zinc oxide, <clears throat> which is a chemical compound that's very unusual. It's called triboluminescent. And it means if you hit it with an electron of certain energy, it will release light in a certain spectrum, which mm-hmm, you see. Mm-hmm. But if you turn around and hit it with light from that spectrum, it will release an electron. Oh, it's electron. reversible. Oh, it's reversible. No okay. Now, that's in the visible light range. In the infrared range, particularly the infrared range at which all atoms exchange energy between themselves, if you develop a compound that does that, then you can take the heat energy, the infrared energy hitting this triboluminescent wall, and on the other side, electrons will appear, which you can, uh, with enough energy, you can stream them off and make electricity direct from heat. And that's, okay. that's, that's a true thermionic converter. So that, that would okay. make heaps of, of power. Okay, and that would make it different than a regular photovoltaic type process. Yes. yes okay. okay. Wow, that sounds very, very exciting. You're always on the cutting edge of these kind of things, and yeah. and uh, we would sure like to get any kind of updates or you know reports on your progress. Yeah. Uh, we have a high geek quotient that listens to yeah. the show. His PhD <laughs> is in mechanical engineering. Mine is in chaos and mischief. So all this stuff is very exciting. Well, well I, I know your main job is to be the supermodel and to add the sex appeal to Dare to Prepare. Uh, in the meantime, so, yeah, Holly says geeks are sexy. <laughs> I, I hope she's not exploiting you for your good looks just to try to sell more books. But uh, can you tell us? We're down to just a few minutes here. Remind us again about Dare to Prepare and also Prudent Places USA. That's still available, correct? Right, they're both available, and they're both recently updated with new editions, correct? Well, yeah, the third edition—that's what took a lot of my time this year too—is uh, doing my part of it with the cover design and. Getting pre-press ready, you have no idea the amount of background work you have to do just to get the darn thing printed and delivered. Mm-hmm. We had to print it in one state, ship it to another state, get it bound, and ship it back to this state before we mm-hmm. ship it out. But uh, look, the books are there. Uh, the CD-ROM is a book on CD-ROM. You need a computer to, to view it and print it. But those are those are things you can buy and have in hard copy so that no matter if an EMP hits or whatever, you've got it because uh, you can print the stuff off of the CD-ROM. Right. That's why Holly's also put a huge, huge amount of stuff free up there on the website. All you got to do is print it out or mm-hmm. read it and remember mm-hmm. it. Um, so we're not just out there hawking books. Uh, this is just – it's a practical way to get 540 maps to you that are, mm-hmm. that are three foot by two foot on a CD-ROM because we couldn't, you couldn't afford the book if we printed it in color. So anyway, I just want to stress that. It's, uh, we, we do charge for these things because uh, we have to, to pay to, to make them, but we do not charge what – what we should. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's already probably a third under what the market would say that you got to sell the book for. And, and standdeo, uh, D-E-Y-O dot com is the portal to get to all this, correct? Yes. Okay. Get to that portal. One of these times we'll have to talk about um, the uh, gateways uh, at the top of the Tower of Babel into the upper universe and how the, the gods came through that. Really interesting story. Yeah, I don't think we'd have any interest in that. That's really yeah, no, no, pretty no, mundane for this show. Right? Yeah, 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 we'd really right. like to talk uh-huh. more about local politics yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> that's, that's one I know Tom Horn would like to set in for. Yeah. Cause, uh, oh, yeah, Mr. Tom, of course, we've had many discussions on that stuff, yeah. Mr. Nephilim Stargate himself. Well, we're going to have to say goodbye, but uh, Brother Stan, would you please come back again and uh, we'll try not to make it a four-year 
a gap next time? Sounds yeah, like a plan, yeah. especially after we finish all this work this year. Now I think there will probably be a little bit of time, more time, and you just caught us in the uh, the, the get more time out here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. if the Lord tarries, of course that. Uh, if not, if we see you at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's fine too. We'll enjoy yeah. hey, seeing you there. Hey, I got a seat reserved. I'm hoping. Well, keep a table for us, okay, yeah. and for the fellow okay. Futurians. We want to be there with you. God bless you, Brother Stan. Please give Holly our best. Thank you for uh, her coaching of you. Uh, you, you end up, you sound like one of these guys at the debates that have the earpieces in. They're being fed the answers. True. <laughs> yeah. well, Very true. Well, Brother Stan, thank you so much, and we appreciate uh, you, you dropping in. We hope to have you back soon. All right. Okay. Bye-bye now. Shalom. All right, we're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. <clears throat> well, just another regular interview. Oh, yeah, pretty much milk toast, man. Yeah. No big things. Same yeah, I always get into, like, Telerik Earth comments. And, same kind of pablum you know, you'd read in USA Today. Yeah, the crossbreeding of giants and humans. No big deal. Yeah. I was interested, particularly, I'm sure everybody else was, with the uh, triboluminescent converter. Yeah. And I, we've got one right here I was gonna in the say, studio. I was going to say, is that the thing with the big wheel on it? You know, it gives, the, <laughs> gives us the... Uh, um, Gives us the the lottery ball. No, no, it's, it's like a little spiral that spins around and hypnotizes you. Oh, now we're not making like fun of fortune. Brother Stan. Brother Stan's a smart man. Yeah, I'd like to go see his stuff. Uh, would you loan me some money to go out there and see him? I was going to say, why don't we Pueblo? jump in the car with old uh, Brother Robert there and Robert Merv. Hyde? Now and he'd be interested. You think Merv would go with us? I'll, I'll bet Merv would go. Oh, it'd be awesome. We could go look at that. The would be a far out. Converter. That would be a far out trip, man. And see his twenty-inch diameter UFO. What? Were you, you here during the interview? He's got a 20-inch uh, UFO flying disc thing. Oh, that that's right. Yeah, in. yeah. I, all of the other stuff about Telerik Earth comments and all this other stuff, you know, I can't, can't keep it all. You weren't overwhelmed, were you? It was I all was, very straightforward. I was totally overwhelmed. I, I actually didn't take good notes through the middle of it because my jaw was It was very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't even get to talk about the gap theory. I mean, yeah. that was a whole other one that was thrown in there that was, you know, he could have had a show on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brother Stan, we sure appreciate you, yeah, Holly. You're great, man. And uh, get there to prepare mm-hmm. and Prudent Places USA, regardless of what you think about some of these other kind of things. Uh, don't let that cause you to miss the good stuff. It's just like listening to Future Quake. Yeah. All the other kind of stuff you don't know about us, don't let that ruin a good Future Quake experience, right? Yep. We love the Lord. We know he does, too. And uh, we do, and we love each of you all. And uh, we need to bring Merv in. Speaking of somebody we love, yeah, come on in and share the love, Merv. Tell them how they can share their love with us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Before we get any more lovey-dovey, I guess <laughs> we got to go. What are you talking about? <laughs> Come tomorrow for uh, uh, tomorrow's Tremors. Uh-huh. And until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing-
Welcome to the Friday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And coming to you with a cold, I am Tom Bionic. Oh. Or or possibly Isaac Hayes. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's a little rough. Please don't touch me. Don't worry. Okay. Well, um, it's I mean, wonderful to be back with everyone yeah, today. Happy to be here. I'm not going to pick on you since you're under the weather. Oh. I'm going to tell everyone what today is. Today is tomorrow's Tremors or today's review of the Future's News. There you have it. So... That way, because I, I didn't want to have the stress of correcting you to reduce my immunity. <laughs> there you go. If you have some weaponized version yeah, of something yeah. that you have, I got, uh, I got, I got bird flu. Oh, I hate, I hate when that happens. I've got, I've got a bowl of Marburg. Did you know a mole, a bowl of Marburg, came from a, uh, a bowl of Marburg? I believe the first documented case was from a, uh, a city in Germany called Marburg. Yeah, I have never met Ebola Marburg. Who is this? Is this an actor? It's, it's a um, uh, it's a disease, a very deadly disease where you uh, uh, you bleed out of your pores. Oh. And uh, it's been I, I I spent way too much time reading about it today because I had this this very strange weird idea about about uh, all that sort of stuff. So I looked up on sort it. Sort of been on your mind. Yeah. Okay. Very weird. And plus, those guys in Mish were talking about it too. We don't have enough to worry about on this show. We even brought up another enough things for people to yeah. take of concern. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me uh, uh, just say you you've been dealing with it on a lot of fronts, haven't you? All of them. The whole economic stuff <laughs> impacts you just as everything yeah. else. I had to drive to a uh, I had to drive to a place today and have somebody fill out a cashier's check because their check bounced. Oh yeah, it's been it's been crazy out well, there. Well, my uh, mother uh, just had uh, uh, cataract surgery. Wow! And I was talking to the nurse there, and asked her how business was. She says, "Well, you know, people still get sick, and need help." Mm-hmm. But she says we're having all of our um, elective surgery. People are canceling it. I'll bet they don't want to cover. So they're seeing things are getting that reduction. Things are getting wild out there. Well, I tell you what, if we could have just a quick departure, what okay. I would like to do. Uh, brother, since you've shared a lot of these different things going on mm-hmm. with you and with all the rest of our listeners and, have well, your own things going on, yeah. uh, we're dealing with a lot of people out there and all sorts of challenges economically or family or other kind of things. Mm-hmm. I'd like to lift you up in prayer well, on air. Good, and I'd like to lift you up in prayer, too. And I'd like to lift our listeners up in prayer. Exactly, because we don't do that frequently enough. Here. No, no. We, we're uh, a Christian show, and we need to take more time. Uh, sharing scripture. We don't want to be downers. We want to let everyone know that the Lord is in charge while we're here yeah. to warn, prepare, be a watchman. Uh, the good news is the Lord uh, is looking after all of his children and will take care of them every step of the yeah. way. It's easy to forget that, but he really is. We're called to be prudent. We're called to be watchful. Uh, but at the same time, we put our trust ultimately in the Lord. So if you don't mind, if I could just say a quick word of prayer for you. I brother. really, really, really appreciate it. Ladies and that. gentlemen, if you're listening here now, if you're driving, uh, keep your eyes yeah. open there. But Don't bow uh, your head if you're driving. Even if you're listening on the Internet, I don't care even if you're listening yeah. six months or a year after this has uh, been recorded. Uh, let's, let's all just have a moment in prayer and, and see the strength of intercessory prayer uh, together in all of our lives. So, yeah. Heavenly Father, I just pray for my dear brother Tom. Lord, I just uh, thank him so much for his faithfulness to this radio show and his friendship to me. 
his diligent work in our local church and our local body believers, the way he um, ministers to people uh, in his neighborhood, at work, and elsewhere, and he tries his in his own best way to represent you, Lord. Uh, I ask that you would help him with the illness he's dealing with now and with the kind of challenges that many of our listeners are dealing with uh, uh, in in the workplace, uh, in the economy, and the challenges, uh, Lord, when, when certain uh, parts of the economy are down, it just has an effect everywhere, uh, Lord. And I just I intercede for Brother Tom and also intercede for all of our listeners here uh, who are having challenges. It, it may be in their marriage or their family or economic challenges, uh, challenges in their faith. Uh, people that they want to see come to the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for them. I thank you for their support for us as, as we attempt to minister here. Lord, I just ask that we would see your handwork in their lives and also in Brother Tom. We will give you the honor and the glory when, when we're able to praise in the reports of what we see you do. Father, I also want to lift up uh, the people of this radio show and everybody who can, in the sound of our voice and who can hear us, as well as all the other people who are out there uh, uh, suffering, be it physical need, hunger in other, other parts of the world, or, um, you know, financial stress or familial stress. Uh, Father, uh, just go to these people and help them and uh, work on their problems as, I, as only you can, uh, but also, you know, just comfort them in their time of distress. I know that there's a lot of people out there that are uh, are very scared and don't know where to turn. Uh, and Father, I also pray for all the other unbelievers out there who may be listening. Um, I, my sincere hope is that every every single person in the sound of my voice will, will turn to the Lord. Uh, and I also want to lift up uh, 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 Brother Future here. Um, I, I want to lift him up because he's such a faithful servant and uh, you know, just is so good about serving you, Father. Um, I just ask that you help all these people, give them wisdom, um, help them in their struggles. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Brother Tom. We, yeah, we need to do that you. a lot more often. You know, that I think I think heck, we should make that a like a regular part of Friday. Maybe. That's right. We we definitely should. Uh, fellow Futurians, um, please keep us in your prayers. We're always seeking the Lord, trying to see uh, if the Lord can use what we do through this show. Always questioning, always seeing uh, what's the best use of the uh, uh, abilities, whatever the Lord gives us, that we can give back to Him. So we ask for your prayers about that, that the Lord would use this show or whatever He calls us to do. And also, we'd love for you to email us and let us know your prayer requests, things on your heart and mind. We'd be more than happy to lift them up and anything we can do. Yeah. Uh, we, we we like to try to educate here as best as we can as we learn ourselves, mm-hmm. but we can do much more than that. Uh, for anything we can we can see here do, we can lift you up before the Lord, and that's the, the best we can offer you here. And I just want to thank every one of you. Thank you for all of you who have been encouraging us. And uh, we just appreciate the encouraging words. Sometimes we just get on the edge of wondering, uh, you know, what are we doing? Is there a better way yeah. we can serve the Lord? Is there anybody at the other end of these? And then, <laughs> and then we get emails from people that are just the most eloquent, yeah. most spirit-filled emails from people. I just want to yeah. thank each of you for taking the time mm-hmm. uh, for doing that. And pray for our guests. Pray for our guests that uh, uh, many of them are like us. They're not doing it for to, to make money or, or, or make much of a living. Uh, they're doing it because they're they're called by the Lord. And they spend a tremendous amount of their effort and time to try to minister to the rest of us, those in the body and outside. So um, 
I guess enough of that. Yeah. Um, we you want me to kick off with something a little different? Uh, do you want to do rock paper scissors? Okay, if you want to do it first, okay. hit it. Well, let's do rock paper scissors. Oh, I I don't know. Okay. What you, you don't know? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was going to use like rod of Aaron. So that way, whatever you threw down, mine could consume yours. I never see people pull that one off. Okay, this is something a little different, okay? All right. Uh, we've been talking about a lot of economic stuff. Yes. And uh, we are recording this on the 20th of November. Uh, you may be listening to this on the Internet any time from tomorrow to a week from now. So I just want to let you know that uh, what we, we've seen a major drop in the stock market today. So mm-hmm. the economy is still the, the big issue right now. But this is something different. It just came out, of all things, on CNN. Uh, and this uh, says uh, Clinton aid slams Pentagon UFO secrecy. Interesting. Uh, and this is a uh, this is a Pentagon or a Clinton aide who now is playing a key role in the Obama administration. Uh, one uh, winter night in 1965, eyewitnesses saw a fireball streak over North America, bank turn and appear to crash in western Pennsylvania. Then swarms of military personnel combed the area, and a tarp-covered flatbed truck rumbled out of the woods. Now a former White House chief of staff and an international investigative journalist wants to know what the Pentagon knows, calling on it to release classified files about that and other incidents involving unidentified flying objects or UFOs. It is time for the government to declassify records that are more than 25 years old and to provide scientists with data that will assist in determining the real nature of this phenomenon, says ex-Clinton aide John Podesta on oh, Tuesday. Interesting household name during the Clinton era and now playing a key role in putting together the Obama staff. Mm-hmm. A Pentagon spokesperson could not be reached for comment regarding the request for information. Despite earning little credence, cases of strange aerial phenomena that defy explanation abound, whether witnessed by thousands of Arizona residents, commercial airline pilots, or a U.S. president. The new initiative is not setting out to prove the existence of aliens. Rather, the group wants to legitimatize the scientific investigation of unexplained aerial phenomena. Podesta is one of numerous political and media heavyweights on hand in Washington, D.C. to announce a new group to gain access to secret government records about UFOs. Specifically, the Coalition for Freedom of Information, or CFI, is pressing the Air Force for documents involving Project Moondust and Operation Blue Fly. Clandestine operations are reported to have existed decades ago to investigate UFOs and retrieve objects of unknown origins. One of the most mysterious cases, the Kecksburg, uh, Pennsylvania incident of December 5, 1965, is the first cited in the group's request for records through the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, Despite an official government story that the object was a meteorite, some eyewitnesses claimed that a military truck took an acorn-shaped object the size of a small car from the rural Pennsylvania crash site to an Air Force base in Ohio. I assume that's Wright-Patterson where I was. where Robin Williams was. Uh, Yeah, it could have been it. (laughs) We can't come up uh, with a reason why this information is being withheld. The government won't even acknowledge that the incident took place, but we know that it did, said Leslie Keene, a California-based freelance reporter who drafted the FOIA, or Freedom of Information Act, request. In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, the government did take the UFO search seriously, and top generals considered the pros and cons of informing the U.S. public, Keene said, citing top-secret memos. In 1969, however, the Air Force terminated Project Blue Book, concluding that no reported UFOs were threats to national security. 
Paradoxically, Key notes, the military continues to deny uh, some requests for UFO information by citing national security concerns. Hmm. Backed by the Sci-Fi Channel, the CFI hopes to reduce the scientific ridicule factor in this country when the topic is UFOs. There's definitely hmm. evidence of strange phenomena in the world. These are well documented, says Keene, who has written a, uh, for The Nation, The Boston Globe, and The International Herald Tribune. Most people don't think that there's evidence because they haven't uh, looked at it. There's such uh, a little green men mindset in this culture. It's hard to work your way through that. This, now, this is interesting. The CFA director, Ed Rothschild, hmm. also works for Podesta's public relations firm, Podesta Matun, which is coordinating the new group. I'm going to Matata to you, too. Yeah. <laughs> at the behest of the Sci-Fi Channel. He said the initiative was a call for serious investigation, not a publicity stunt for the cable network. The Sci-Fi Channel has had an interest in UFOs for some time. The difference uh, here is that they are focusing attention on the serious, factual side of the issue and that scientists have not had a chance to thoroughly examine it, Rothschild said. Of course, it could help programming, but Sci-Fi thought they had some resources they could bring to the table. Interesting. There you go. That is an interesting one. Yeah. You know, I didn't know there was an Ed Rothschild. Yeah. I figured it would be like, like Alexander, yeah. uh, you know, Nicolotti or yeah, like Constantine these, or something. Yeah, all these very long. Yeah, Ed Rothschild. Yeah, we ought to have him on the show. I wonder what he, he has, has to though. say. You know, another guy who's big into this initiative. Now, I learned this when I was at the UN meeting. Yeah, this yeah. summer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Stephen Bassett, who we still need to get on our show, mm -hmm. he said that this John Podesta guy, who, by the way, is the guy, I understand it, putting together the cabinet for Obama right now, insider, wow. and he's pushing this. But his name was mentioned by Stephen Bassett this summer because as a he's guy an alien that, or what? No, not that he's an alien, but that he was going to be one of the big name people pushing for this UFO initiative. Wow. And the other guy, that he, one of the other guys he mentioned, that has funded a huge initiative is Lawrence Rockefeller. Huh. And he showed pictures of Lawrence Rockefeller. He started the Rockefeller Initiative. And two of the people he got personally involved in it were Bill and Hillary Clinton. Interesting. And they actually had pictures of his Lock Rockefeller Initiative under their arm as they were going to the retreat with him mm -hmm. to Was talk it about like all this. Acorn sized or no, one acorn sized. Although you know that uh, thing that crashed in. Um, it was a Decatur, Alabama, a number of months ago. The white pearl thing. Or they reported it, it to be something that sounded somewhat similar. Yeah. So. Robin Williams. So yeah. put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. Interesting. I, I told you that'd be a little change yeah. of taste from well, the. It's interesting. Economic malaise. I know. I know. Well, I I went I went totally econo economic malaise. I'm not shocked. Right down the... That's pretty much where my head is. I bet you you're in the, the nitty-gritty here. Yeah. Don't don't get mad at me if I have to stop and interpret things for neophytes, okay? No, no, that's okay? fine. That's fine. You you interpret. I have a tendency to get out of the... You might be deep in the acronyms. Out of the loop, out of the loop with the TARP and the... Okay. And the ASS and the Fed and the BP and all that stuff. That's A-okay. All righty. Well, uh, what a lot of our listeners may or may not know is that... Uh, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, has lent uh, a lot of different countries a substantial amount of money. And uh, for a long time, the idea has been that it's it's based on debt, so there's not really any actual money that's changed hand. But nobody has bothered to, uh, you know, 
take that up in a legal courtroom. Well, Ecuador's, uh, this comes from Bloomberg, I got just today. Uh, Ecuador's audit commissions uh, finds illegality in debt. Uh, the Ecuador Debt Audit Commission said it uncovered illeg- illegality and illegitimacy in the country's foreign obligations. Findings that may give President Rafael Correa the legal basis he sought to halt bond payments. So this globalist outfit, the International Monetary Fund, is that who it is? Yes. But that was part of Bretton Woods, too? Yes. That was formed to, well, I guess on paper, to help out troubled areas of the world, be strategic lending of money, yeah, to keep stability. I mean, that's on the yes, on paper. Yes. It, but really, when you look at their, when you look at what they've done, is they've sort of single-handedly brought most countries into a significant amount of debt, and even you might even say sort of a form of neo-feudal slavery almost. Well, being a bank, a bank normally has a charter to help people and mm-hmm. lend money to help society, but most of the time they end up owning most of the uh, material society and yes. they just wait for people to get behind. So yeah. why should a global bank be any different? Well, they, they have um, special drawing rights inside the Federal Reserve that are listed on their balance sheet, which means they have the ability to tax the Federal Reserve. I bet a lot of people, a lot of our listeners didn't know that. Yeah. They can tax the Federal Reserve. That's what those special drawing rights are. Oh, okay. And they're they're listed as an asset. It's very weird. It's very, we won't get into the account. Okay. It's very weird. Um, but anyway, the commission said in a 172-page report that the global bonds due in 2012 and 2030 show serious signs of illegality, including issuance without proper government authorization, uh, including issuance without proper government authorization. Excuse me, folks. I'm not... Um, my head somewhere else. Korea, who last you're on waivers. You're on the injured uh, reserve yes, list. Yes, I'm on break. the uh, yeah sick, dead, and dying list. Now this is going to hurt. Cairo? This is going to hurt your. We need a capable. This is going to hurt your performance stats. A yeah, I know. It's going to drop down your your reading efficiency rating. That's going to the floor here. Okay. Korea, who last week withheld a thirty million dollar interest payment on the 2012 bonds while he awaited the audit said today that the country's bonds due in 2015 are marred by irregularities. He called the audit results truly disastrous and conclusive. We're not talking about the perception of debatable illegitimacy, Korea said after receiving the report at a public event in Quito. Uh, government supporters ringed the auditorium where he spoke and, and chanted, We owe nothing. The debt is paid and put the thieves in jail. Wow. Pretty scary. Well, I wish we'd had that slogan for the bailout when we were sending the faxes in to Congress. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would have been a good phrase we could have used. It become a national or a worldwide phrase. Well, what's in, what I think is interesting is that all of this, all of this anti bailout stuff, well, anti debt thing is sort of spreading. Here's an entire country doing it now. And this will spread like wildfire. Yeah. What's it? One yeah. country. I like I mentioned to you off air. Chavez, as he's sort of made himself a leader of the third world, and mm-hmm. and fighting the uh, uh, more established countries, mm-hmm. he'll take this movement and he'll try to become sure. a leader of it yeah. in you know, South and Central America and yeah. elsewhere. It's interesting. Uh, the price on the fi- $510 million bonds due 2012 fell, to, fell as much as 2.5 cents today to 24 cents on the dollar, mm. sending yields over 70% after the release of the report. The bonds have tumbled from 95 cents in mid-September as speculation has mounted that Ecuador, squeezed by a tumble in its main export oil, 
will default for the second time in less than a decade. Korea, a 45-year-old economist who has threatened to default since the 2006 presidential campaign, reiterated that the government won't pay illegitimate debt and said he'll seek to prosecute those responsible for the sale of the debt. He didn't comment on whether he plans to make the $30 million interest payment before a month-long grace period expires in, in December. Hmm. There's more here, but... Shame he wasn't on our ballot. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I would like to direct our, our listeners to check out a book called uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. Okay. It's a very interesting book about a guy who went around and artificially inflated statistics for a company called Chaz D. Maine. And uh, if, if what he says is true, the idea was that uh, the IMF would loan exorbitant amounts of money to these people with the idea knowing that it would never be paid back. and They'd, uh, they'd always have to pay mm-hmm. interest on it. So, so it was a trap. Set yes. to enslave them. Yes, it was like yes. a little little loop of rope down on the ground mm-hmm. underneath something with some food. Mm-hmm. They'd reach for the carrot. He'd pull it. And next no thing way you know, out. yeah. Next thing you know, here comes Wiley Coyote. Wow, Acme Rocket Company. Yep. Well, speaking of this, and speaking of their protests and slogans, we're going to have one in this country on Saturday, right? Yes. And in if you're in a major city in the U.S., you can go there, mm-hmm. or if you're national, you can join us and the CAAA. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Well, there's going to be there's a new movement um, out there. It's called End the Fed. If anybody, if any of our listeners care to care to check it out, there's I believe it's in the Fed dot com mm-hmm. uh, um, dot us dot us. If you go to the if you go to the front of futurequake dot com, I just uploaded on the front page all the details. Mm-hmm. Uh, where to find the website for in the Fed dot us? Uh, where to go for um, uh, freedom? Oh, I just blanked out. Uh oh. The freedom uh, the organization with the CAAA that's doing it here locally. I don't know. You know, it's the other group organizing it around the country. Oh, uh, well, I, I don't know. Freedom something. Look, US. I'm so sorry, you all. It's on frontoffuturequake.com. Anyway, if if you want to go with us in Nashville, they're going to meet at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m., down at the Anchor on 3rd Street. Mm-hmm. The address is on the uh, frontoffuturequake.com. I, I think I'll plan to be there then. And then we're going on Rosa Parks Boulevard to the uh, Federal Bank building there. And we're going to protest there and be there by 1030. Yeah. But if you're in any major city, we've got listeners in Louisville. There's yeah. a protest there at the, I think, First National Bank building. Well, I think it's in, in I think it's in all 38 of the cities. 38 major yeah. cities. You've got, so you've got 12. Same day. Yeah, you've got 12 cities that the main Fed, the main Fed branches in and then uh, another 16 or so, uh, another 16 or 18 where the Fed sub branches are. And then a couple other, I think they're going to protest at, like, Terminal Annex A in Denver, which is mm-hmm. where they offload coins and stuff. And then Terminal right. Annex A in Los Angeles. If you have ever uh, complained about what our politicians are doing, about what the bankers are doing, stealing this money, if you're frustrated that after all of our energy telling these politicians we didn't want the bailout, they did it anyway, instead of taking all that energy complaining, come down and join us. Yeah. Uh, Bring a sign. Be there. Uh, meet Dr. Future and the Futurians uh, there, and uh, we would love to see you there. It sounds like a band. I know. It sounds pretty cool. Dr. Future and the Futurians. Sort of like Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed. We're coming up here to the end here. I hope everyone enjoyed uh, Stan Deo this week. Mm-hmm. Very different kind of guest this week. 
It's far out, but in a cool way. We have some more fascinating guests that are that are coming up, mm-hmm. and some other big announcements. We got some really cool announcements coming up, mm-hmm. but uh, we would always like to hear from you. So I think let's go on and bring Merv in before we wrap it up. Yes, uh, Merv, why don't you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us at Future Quake, and how we can find out what they like or don't like about our show. In in other words, hear from them. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're roughly a minute away. Any kind of last thoughts on what's on your mind? Um, things are getting things are getting wild out there. It's a shame we didn't and have time. I had a story I want to read. Well, we don't have time for it, but from Gerald Caliente uh, from the Trans Research Institute... He's the one that does all the trends for the major news network. He was on just on Fox News. Okay. And he said, in 2012, America will be an undeveloped nation. There will be a revolution marked by food riots, squatter rebellions, tax revolts, and job marches. Holidays will be more about obtaining food, not gifts. And that uh, 2008, wow. uh, he said this uh, last year, told the United Press International, uh, 2008 would be known as the Panic of 2008. That giants would tumble to their deaths, which is exactly what we've we've like witnessed. Nephilim? Wow. Yeah, he was talking about <laughs> Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, and others. Yeah. He said the dollar eventually be devaluated by as much as ninety well, percent. Well, fiat currencies have went to zero a hundred percent of the time. So. Right, and we may be witnessing it as we speak. Yeah. But what we do need to witness is the end of this week's future quake. Wow, it's been a rambling, albeit robust week. In an odd way. That sounds, that sounds like a waiter explaining what's new on the menu, the special. Yeah. Okay. Ladies, gentlemen, we got to go. Let's get out of here. Okay. Catch you Monday. I'll be here. Take care of yourself this weekend. Word up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we love you. We, we care about you. And until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. God bless. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Crowding out old realities There's revolution Sweeping it like a fresh new breeze Let the old